0: What's going on, everyone? You are tuned in to a watch party edition of Kicking Out at Two. I'm your host this week, and uh, you guys voted for it in the polls, and now it's finally here. SummerSlam 1992. That's right. We're going to do a special watch party of that event that emanated from Wembley Stadium in London, England on August the 31st, 1992. Justin's going to be joining me shortly as we watch that event from beginning to end on the WWE Network. So have your WWE Network. Fired up, logged in, and ready to go. It's a new WWE network setup, so it might take you a little bit, so it'll give you a little bit of extra time and have that ready to go. But before we get into that, let me remind you all we're a big presence on social media Facebook.com. Forward slash kicking out at two. Hit the like button if you haven't already. If you have hit the like button, tell a friend to hit the like button. We got links to archive shows, debates and discussions, pictures and videos, so much more over there. Be a part of the kicking out at two crew on Facebook. As well as our Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out two. K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. Following isn't as strong, but like I always say, you gotta crawl before you walk and walk before you run. So give us a follow over on Twitter at Kicking Out 2. And don't forget to be a part of the Retro Mania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. If you love nostalgic pro wrestling, then that place is for you. It's over on Podbean. You can find Kicking Out at 2 over there, as well as Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Hulkamania's Dead, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, and so much more. You can find all those shows over on Podbean by searching Retro Mania.
1: And let's get into it this week with our watch-along. It is a SummerSlam 1992 watch-along. Like I said, you guys voted for it in the polls, and I appreciate all the contributions from all of you voting in the polls each and every time I put it up there on the Facebook over at Facebook.com forward slash kicking out at two. But joining me for this special watch-along, this watch party, if you will, um... A newly married man. The last time we were together, it was your it was your big day. Um, the last time we were together on this show, it was your send-off with Dennis with the Canadian Stampede Watch Party. My brother Justin, what's going on,
2: man? Good to be back. You know, you just reminded me that I'm married. I forgot to throw my ring on this morning. Oh, so. shit. Uh, I think I can get away with it for a couple hours, but yeah, good to be back. Yeah, I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, I won't edit that part out. <laughs> 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 not, not that Laura's a a, a faithful listener of the show, but um, anyhow, um, yeah, we're gonna be watching SummerSlam 1992. Um, you know, I don't know how much podcasts you listen to, whether it's this show. I know you listen to other stuff like I do with like Bischoff and. Pritchard, but uh, you know, I do another show with my buddy Kobe, marking out the day's weekend warriors, and we cover um, WWF superstars and WCW Saturday night. We recap them, and right now they only have um, most of 1992 on the network, so um, there's been a lot of discussion on that show uh, regarding um, events leading up to SummerSlam. Um, from Wembley Stadium, and so there's been a lot of 1992 we've been covering. So this would be interesting to go back and, and and discuss this and see how things unfolded. And there's some interesting tidbits I'd uh, I had uh, taken a, a a gander at um, while doing research for this show regarding um, you know some events that took place on this show that we didn't get to see on the uh, the 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 pay-per-view portion of this show. So. Um, while we're at it, while we're, while we're kind of chit-chatting it up, uh, go to WWE Network, have it logged in. Hopefully you're logged in by now. It's a new setup, so it might be a little bit different um, than, than previous instructions I've given you guys. Um, you'll go to the WWE pay-per-view section, and you'll search for SummerSlam 1992. The date is August the 31st, 1992. And... Um, you could also just search it by just writing SummerSlam 1992, and you'll find it as well there. But um, just to make it easier for you, uh, WWE uh, pay-per-view section, and then you'll you'll go to the current pay-per-views, which are currently um, available, and you'll see the SummerSlam icon, and then you'll just search the year, 92, August 31st. Um, when I say play, you'll hit play. Um, this time around, there's no more... Um, There's no more uh, TV ratings that they usually give you with the... <laughs> and um, probably
2: everyone knows exactly what you're talking yeah, about exactly, yeah exactly
1: yeah because it's so distinct i've i've, I've woken up uh, my wife a few times um in the middle of the night watching something on the network forgetting how loud the volume is and then like that will come up and then she'll be so pissed at me
2: yeah then you're uh, pressing the down button on the yeah, exactly. For, like, yeah exactly so
1: there's not that anymore and as far as i know there's no commercials currently um so there's not a commercial for another Saudi Arabian show or um, SummerSlam, which is coming up. Uh, so you'll just get right to the event. It's kind of like Netflix. It's a new format. So hopefully you guys can, uh, you know, get up to speed uh, when it comes to the network. So we will find it here. Um, let, me, uh, let me let me go back here. Oh, I got to mute the TV, too, as well. Yeah, make sure you mute your television so you can listen to us because, uh, you know, our, our commentary is certainly better than... Uh, than the um than the uh which i'm call it the uh, the one on the summer yeah exactly yeah i'm losing my train of here <laughs> it's early. sorry about it. yeah it, it's a little early yeah but you know it's it's summertime and you know the heat is uh is getting to you so yeah actually now i had to go back and do it myself because my tv logged out so you'll go to wwe pay-per-views then in the current pay-per-views bar you'll see summer slam it's got roman reigns uh uh, Ronda Rousey Alexa Bliss and Brock Lesnar in the picture and then you'll search for the year 1992 it's up top on the uh, the, the space bar. you'll click on it and then I'll give you guys a little bit of a countdown uh, you'll see a picture of Ultimate Warrior and Macho Man Randy Savage with the SummerSlam logo under that that date August the 31st 1992 and away we go in five four three Two, one, hit play. As we open Ico Pro. You gotta you, want you it. Gotta want it. Yeah, there's been a lot of those commercials on the um, the uh
2: the the, the Superstars episodes on the network. Have you watched any of those? Uh, a few of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's kind of cool. I thought you know, 1992 uh, was a, was a year kind of like where we are now in pro wrestling in terms of the WWE. It's it was a pretty stacked roster back then, you yeah. know, really like Hall of Fame, you know, through the depth charts, Yeah. Um, you know, and not to stay, not to get too current with the product now, but, you know, I think, I think we're headed there now with just having a loaded roster, um, and uh, I think, that, again, those ma- that makes those Superstars episodes definitely worth a, a look just to kind of see, you know, a Shawn Michaels on the rise, if you will, or a Tito Santana on the El Matador on the on the the decline, you know yeah. stuff like that. I you know I like, 1982 is a very interesting year. Um, you know we talk about you know and have before you know the 1992 Royal Rumble. You know in my opinion and many people's opinion, it's the greatest Rumble of all time. Not just because Ric Flair you know you know went the distance. If but you the will. the amount the loaded. Roster oh my was yeah in that, exactly right? it was, was a, it was like I mean I'm pretty sure Bob Backlund was in that Royal Rumble too right no, he no was that not. was then that was the next year yeah he yeah, was, was in '93 just, yeah you know, Jake the Snake the British Bulldog. You know, Undertaker, yeah, Randy yeah, Savage, Sid, yeah, Shawn like, Michaels, Ted DiBiase, yeah, Big like Ted DiBiase was, Piper, yeah, like it was, it Sergeant was loaded, slaughter absolutely loaded, Iron Sheik, yeah. So you know, and I think again, that just speaks to the type of roster they had, and you know, I think that's what kind of makes this SummerSlam a little bit of a hidden gem. is just you've got so much, you know, top tier talent in positions where you're like, you're wondering why they were on the, you know, opening the show or in, you know, kind of buried in the card somewhere because that roster was stacked
1: i still consider 1992 part of that like golden age um like uh, you know the, the 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 glory years people look at 92 as a decline and you could definitely see some change um in the wwf at that time um you know people people consider 92 a bad year um for the wwf and maybe from a business standpoint their numbers with their attendance and television ratings and and you know revenue it might be a little bit down uh but i just think from the from a content standpoint creatively overall i thought 1992 for the wwf had some really good stuff um in terms of storylines um when it comes to this show here um like i said earlier there were, you talk want to talk about hidden gems um this pay-per-view took place in in London, England, at Wembley Stadium, with uh, roughly over eighty-two thousand people, uh, or I'm sorry, eighty thousand, was it here? Yeah, eighty thousand three hundred fifty-five.
2: Oh, that's what it was. I thought it was eighty-two.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyhow, um, this event wasn't didn't didn't take place live in the United States. This was a pre-tape, and this was before internet, and there were spoilers. Um, but uh, there were a few matches that were that were that took place before this event went on the air. Uh, two matches that were tape that were taped for primetime wrestling to air at a later date in the United States saw Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the Bushwhackers defeat the Mountie and the Nasty Boys, and then you mentioned him earlier, Tito Santana as El Matador losing to Papa Shango. Um, and then there were some other matches too that were um, part of this broadcast that didn't make it to the. Um, the the pay-per-view portion in the United States. And we'll get into that shortly. But here is uh, Money Incorporated, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Shyster ready
2: to face the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. Now, was this uh, the Road Warriors' first match back? Because I know they returned at WrestleMania. They didn't wrestle. They cut a promo.
0: It was m- too much surprise. First pay-per-view Road. match back, yeah. Right, but they okay. had wrestled
1: on TV. Okay, um, okay. and they were It's weird because... Um, during my, um, d- during you know the, the timeline here in 1992, especially when with what Kobe and I cover on uh, Weekend Warriors, um, <clears throat> th- this match was kind of thrown together here. Road Warriors had an issue with the Beverly Brothers. The Beverly Brothers were new to the scene in the WWF in the spring of 92, and or er, like, sorry, in early 1992, going as far back as the Royal Rumble, and they were they were on a collision course with the Beverly Brothers. And they never blew that match off on a big stage like a pay-per-view. It might have taken place at live events or maybe on a wrestling challenge. But um, Money Incorporated, before SummerSlam, lost the WWF Tag Team titles to the Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon. That was what many thought was going to take place was that match. And then we would see the Road Warriors and the Beverly Brothers. But they kind of swapped
2: teams for just whatever reason. Um, So, um, the Road Warriors, this is their first... between the Natural Disasters and Money, Inc. What's that? Swapping between who?
1: So, uh, on television, on Superstars, they had been building up the Road Warriors and the Beverly Brothers. The Beverly Brothers would beat local enhancement guys, and then they would paint their faces. Um, They would taunt kids in the crowd. Um, Then the uh, the Road Warriors, you know, they would... They never had an official match on TV, to the best of my recollection. And then, on the other side... The natural disasters were going after Money Incorporated, who were the tag team champions, managed Gosh. by Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart had turned on them before WrestleMania. And they were still um, they were they were still in a in a, a big time rivalry for the championships. They had their match on like a wrestling challenge or or a primetime wrestling or something. I don't remember the show. Natural Disasters won the titles. Uh. And then they signed then they just all of a sudden just did like this random switcheroo where they put these two teams together here, and then later on on this show we'll watch it with the natural disasters and the Beverly Brothers for the tag team titles.
2: Yeah, that's in. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I, I feel like not as you explain that uh, to me, especially because you know there's not as much television time in terms of you know f- attention that you we get now on wrestling. You know, every week, prime time. Um... I would hazard a guess, like you said, they didn't really blow off the Beverly Brothers, and again, they had all this switcheroos. To me, that 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 could be a case of like just you know that stuff not doing well on the house shows. My guess is those guys worked with each other. You know, you might you, someone might have to go back and dig that up. Yeah, yeah. These teams worked with each other on the house shows, and like. Oh, I would imagine that was World the formula. Wars, back then. Yeah, Road Wars and Beverly Brothers probably just didn't you know didn't mix well. You know, and yeah. didn't get good reactions, and you know I think. The probably the sole purpose that you, this match is on, you know, on the card is because it's the Road Warriors. Yeah, they're they're, they're just a huge big ticket name, and Money Inc is obviously you know Teddy Biazi especially, a big time star. So you know it's a pretty again speaking to how good the roster is, it's a pretty darn good enhancement match. Oh yeah, you know what I mean in terms of like building a card, like absolutely. You know they're not going to put on the the best holds and such, but again on on name value like, you know. If you gave this attention, it could be a main event. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, here's another
1: case of of how things were structured at that time. Um, for weeks on superstars, Papa Shango and Ultimate Warrior had their issues when Papa Shango delivered a curse to Ultimate Warrior in the, the the iconic moment where he's throwing up and you know, then that must have been blown off at a house show. And all of a sudden, Ultimate Warriors announced as the number one contender to the WWF Championship against the Macho Man for this event. It, it was just like it wasn't even mentioned again on television.
2: And you know what? That probably has a lot. And, and these these very interesting switches, could, I think, are also probably a product of the fact that they have a big stadium to fill and they need all Oh, yeah, guns for sure. For sure. Like, Especially when they didn't have Hogan, too. like, and, Hogan. And, and I'm sure that dude got a phone call, too. You know what Oh, I mean? yeah. If they could put him in any type of match, they would have, and I'm sure Hogan you know, if the money was right, he was going to do it. Oh, for sure. But, Absolutely. But I, but yeah, again, like you said, just don't have him randomly made as champion, not really blow off on TV, a Papa Shango feud that, you know, had the guy throwing up all over everything and everyone inside. Yeah. you know, real, <laughs> but, but again, like as a kid, like you watch that and you're like, holy shit, that's yeah. crazy. You know oh, you kid me? You I still think, think that leads to a big match. You I know? still think Papa Shango to this day,
1: even as, as, as hokey as that, it, it, it looks from, you know, first appearance I still think it was an intimidating character, especially as a kid, at nine and ten years old. Right,
2: right, and most know? definitely. And I think that that would have been an interesting, you know, feud. But again, it, it, like I said, probably a combination or or an either or of all right. It didn't do well in the house shows. Or secondly, like, you know what, warriors value is is best served elsewhere. because yeah. we got to sell a lot of tickets to this place. You brought this up. You know, you said I'm sure
1: Hogan got a phone call. Now, let's let's connect some dots here. Main savage and warrior for the title. Rick Flair plays an integral part in that match. We'll discuss that later on. What if? All right. Now, here's another factor, too. It's it's London, England. It's an international show. Those fans are very loyal wrestling fans. I would imagine without announcing a card that they sold this place out or damn near sold it out. What if they do you
0: Is it on the table to do Hogan and Flair at this event?
1: Considering they
2: didn't do it at WrestleMania, this is already sold out. Well, they they didn't do it at WrestleMania for a reason, and you know the prevailing thought I think is I I think for most people who pay attention now is that it just didn't do well in the house shows. Uh, like you said, I'm sure this you know we'd have to look back in history and find out how quickly this sold out and when you know when matches were announced surrounding it. Um, but I think it's not Hogan Flair that you could do necessarily. You could probably do like some sort of tag match involving you know Savage, Warrior, Hogan, and 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 Flair, you know, and whether it's you know, you know Warrior and Flair versus Hogan and Savage, you know the Mega Powers reunite could have been something to sell, and then you could still kind of you know storyline tease the the Warriors' allegiance or you know disallegiance from being a babyface. You know, there's there's a lot of A lot of things they could have done with that. but Hogan is probably brought in, if he gets a phone call, as an attraction. Oh, for sure. Kind of in the way that he was brought in for WrestleMania 9. You know what I mean? He's probably brought in as something like that, if anything, where it's just a one-off. And and with that being said, they could have done Flair and Hogan as a one-off with not much fanfare, just... Well, that's my point. Just book it as its name. Yeah. So I think it's it, it depends on how creative they want it to get with it. Well,
1: considering, too, that, like I said, Flair Flair's character on TV felt snubbed that he was not a part of the, the, the championship match, didn't get his rematch um, from WrestleMania after losing the title. Um, I feel like that would be the impetus for him to, uh, you know, be a part of the championship contender scene, and then you slot in a name like Hogan big money match in a sold out stadium as an attraction, hell, you could even advertise it as a number one contenders match. And the winner gets the you know, Savage or Warrior for the championship at a later date.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um that I I I do wonder though, again, I don't know what their emphasis was on what would be the main event of the the show, but do they do they not book that out of fear that they that it overshadows Brett and Bulldog, though. That's another thing. You yeah. know, that's clearly the bigger singles match of the two. And then, how do you not put that on last? No, I get On name value alone. Just, uh, no, just I, kind of going through the, the thought process of, of potentially what they could be talking about, if that were even talked about. Um, oh, I get it. So I think, I think it would have been more of a side cart match. Like I said, a tag match. You know what I mean? I, you could totally see Hogan jumping in in a tag match or some sort of you know where he's not carrying the load, he's not wrestling a full bore match. Again, something on the vein of a WrestleMania nine appearance, I think, yeah. would have been probably the likely and more probably more appropriate setting. Yeah. Because you could still get name value out of Hogan and Warrior or Warrior and Savage, and then again, yeah, you could you could figure out a, a flare. You know, I mean, weird enough, you know, at the time, you you could have done, I don't know, you could have done a uh, like Hogan and the Undertaker. You know, against Savage and or no Flair and Sid, you know, or just there, there was there was there was players involved. And I think that I think there was a lot that they could have gone to for sure because again the roster is just so stacked.
1: Here's here's a name that that you could have thrown against Hogan at, a, at an event like this. Razor Ramon. He had just debuted on television a few weeks prior to this event. They had been hyping up his vignettes for weeks and weeks on end. Razor Ramon had talked about wanting to face the big names in the WWF. He even called out Undertaker, he called out Randy Savage, he called out Ultimate Warrior, you know? A Razor Ramon newcomer calling out Hulk Hogan for a SummerSlam match.
2: Um I think it I think that could work now. Like in two, you know just nineteen ninety two it would and have been he, difficult. I think it I think it would have been difficult because the formula tried and true from the time Hogan got on top was you know, when they they would they were always grooming somebody to face Hogan next, and I think if he had only debuted a few weeks prior, that's just way too soon. You know what I mean? I think they would have probably wanted him to get some more guys under his belts, get some more, you know, steam on him before feeding him to Hogan.
1: But, Granted, that's that's a fair point.
2: Just from I, just just based on what I, the, the on history the, of how they've yeah done on it. the
1: form. No, I get that. I, I I'm and I'm right there with you, but at the same time too, um, it's not like they they. They put Razor Ramon in like a low-level mid-card feud when he started. They threw him in to Savage and Warrior with with Flair as right. like his as like his his partner, so right, to speak. Right. So I mean, he was in there with top guys who were revolving around the WWF Championship. So you looked at Razor Ramon as a big deal at that time. So I mean, from that standpoint, I feel like it wouldn't necessarily. Your, your your points are very valid, but I feel like it wouldn't necessarily be out of the realm of possibility.
2: No, no, no. I don't think it would too. But I think the minute you feed him to Hogan, it's over. You know what I mean? Um, he go he goes back he goes back down the mountain by way by way of you know King Kong Bundy, Big Boss Man, Earthquake. It's just the trajectory like that. Would be too much too soon. Um, again, in two thousand nineteen, you could do it, and you could t- you could have some life for afterwards. Okay. Um, but I think again the the philosophy I think would have would have been to maybe give him six, seven months of beating some quality opponents and getting over on TV a little bit before you fed him to Hogan. That that that's just
1: okay. No, um, I, it's fair. No, you make you make fair points. I I, I can I can get behind that.
2: Um, would I like to have seen that match back then? Yeah, and I think it would have been cool even as an attraction. I think if you think more creatively, you could have you could do it more as. A one-off with Hogan and Razor that leads Razor to someone else. Yeah. A Bret Hart, you know yeah. what I mean, or yeah, a Bulldog, yeah. or someone like that. Yeah. It, it, it definitely had had you know has legs in a in a looking at it from the from you know a bird's eye view.
1: Yeah. Speaking of bird's eye view, um, you see there on the uh, next to Ellering uh, on the chair the the dummy Rocco. Yeah. Um, a lot of wrestling fans feel like that took away from the the mystique and the, the aura of the Legion of Doom characters. What did you think of Rocco the dummy?
2: Um, again, not really having too much recollection of this as it happened. Um, you know, the, the LOD had been, while not much variation before this, they had been done and redone a bunch of times, you know. Their, their style was very matter-of-fact, and I don't think it required them to, to uh, change their, their characters or really do much of anything to them, because they were so popular. Yeah. It was just another way of kind of, kind of repackaging them. Again, they didn't have Ellering in the, when they first got there, either. No, so, no. I mean, I think you could look at Rocco as a way of making Paul Ellering more interesting than it was the Road Warriors. You know what I mean? That's road, a good point. Like, like Rocco was Paul Ellering's manager, as stupid as that sounds, and Paul Ellering was the manager of the Road Warriors. So, yeah. like, you know, I think it was more to give Ellering more color than anything. And, again, like, that could be entirely off-base. No, no, no. I that seems like, again, like, why should I care about this Paul Ellering guy? Like, there's nothing about him other than, oh, he used to manage the Road Warriors. They kind of brought that out a little bit, but...
1: I Well, I, I know that when I, I've, I've seen different variations of, you know, oh, that, well, that was a... I didn't expect that finish. <laughs> yeah,
2: they didn't do the
1: Doomsday device. They tried it, and it, it, it got blocked. Um, but to kind of put a period on the end of the sentence when it comes to Rocco, I feel like when, it, when I've spoken with other wrestling fans and I've seen other, you know, articles and posts and they've brought up this portion of the Legion of Doom's career, people have looked at the Rocco aspect as, like, you know, making the Legion of Doom look very cartoonish and very, you know, not realistic. But um, if we want to, you know, call bullshit on the realistic factor, these are two guys that wear face paint with reverse mohawks and shoulder pads with spikes. I mean, they're 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 out. They're they're th- their characters are out there. So it, I feel like it's not um, out of the realm of possibility that they would have a ventriloquist dummy. As a part of their little entourage, because they're just some fucking weird cats, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Plus,
2: don't you gotta, you know? And maybe I'm wrong, but like, kind of in this time period, and you know, like the the TV shows and the Pee Wee Hermans of the world, like they had like you know the ventriloqu- oh yeah, like Pee Wee's Playhouse, yeah, yeah I mean, like that was big mark for that, yeah. Ventriloquist acts were kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't. Oh like, yeah. You know, so even I, before that, yeah. Yeah, so like I don't think it's crazy. You know what I mean? It's not like the. I mean, it's not like the fucking you know Rocco's. You know, winning the yeah. continental title. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, he didn't like go for the cover in a match. Yeah, yeah, like chill. Like it's not that big of a deal. Like yeah. you know, and it's a it's it's a it's an inanimate object. They could they could fucking burn it, and yeah, set it on fire yeah. in in one night, and it yeah. wouldn't be a big deal.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like Al Snow and head. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, and yeah, no one no one cried about that. Yeah, you know yeah, for I mean? real. He
1: was talking to a fucking mannequin head. Yeah, but yeah. uh, you know
2: that's that's and, and that was over as fuck. So oh, I yeah. mean. But different time, different place, I guess.
1: Yeah, Rick Flair here with Mean Gene Oakland discussing the the main event. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, though in the weeks leading up to this, Flair had hyped Mister um, Perfect as being a. Uh, a a valuable asset to this match as Mr. Perfect was going to be in the corner of one of these two individuals uh, Randy Savage of the Ultimate Warrior and that kind of drove a wedge in between Savage and Warrior who didn't really have a personal issue going into the match but
2: it became more personal um, because of Flair and Mr. Perfect no going like I say that's probably exactly why they that these guys were involved is because there wasn't an issue between the two and, and to think they could have easily gone back to like you retired me a year ago or anything like that. Oh, yeah. But they didn't. So, I mean, but again, this is probably to, to, again, involve more characters, get people that had some name value on the card, if you will, and, and, you know, let people know that they're going to be there. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess that's probably a lot of the reason for kind of applying these devices.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was was rather strange, like, even as a kid, um, to believe that Mr. Perfect... Would have been in at least in Randy Savage's corner because of what him and Ric Flair had done to Randy Savage months prior. When it came to Ultimate Warrior, it was still a kind of out there possibility. Looking back on it, but at the same time, Ultimate Warrior was very out there, and I just had like a I wouldn't say a hatred, but a a dislike for Ultimate Warrior because you know he, he, I just wasn't a, I just wasn't a big fan. So I I thought like that was like a Uh, a way to um kind of rationalize my beef with the ultimate warrior by having mr perfect in his corner uh speaking of beef the meat sauce mafia here with virgil um let me tell you you go back and watch some of those superstars virgil's on a, a fair amount of those episodes wrestling and cutting promos and oh my goodness his promos are fucking hilarious Papa Shango, he can't even say Papa Shango's name. Papa Shango, go rumble in the jungle. Um, he's here uh, hyping up his match with Nails, who had made his debut a few months prior on Superstars Attacking the Big Boss Man. Um, the Nails character, a, a convict uh, who had been locked up in a prison, and the Big Boss Man was uh, one of the prison guards in that prison. And so he came back for his revenge and attacked the boss man. Here's another, you know, uh, fun fact here. Boss man had returned to television uh, a month or so prior to this event, and they didn't put boss man and nails on the card for SummerSlam. Instead, it was Virgil and nails. And I will
2: say that over the course of probably, what, a year or two, they really... They gave Virgil every chance in the world to get over like a top baby face. Oh, yeah. Just just the way they presented him on television, you know, the promo time, just the the, the way they, you know, treated him on commentary. He even got decent time in matches. You know, nobody talks, you know, people talk about, you know, shoving people down your throat. Virgil was, yeah. Virgil... But again, but the fans liked him, too. Well, see? because he he his background and where he came from. <laughs> yeah. with
1: DiBiase, DiBiase was so hated yeah. and treated him like shit on TV that you know you you couldn't help but get behind. Yeah. Virgil.
2: I'm not saying that he should that they should have kept going with it. but, yeah. Like God, like wow, like you people don't see it as I mean as much as it was ever present. Like yeah. I think they just wanted that youthful, energetic talent you know, that could potentially, you know, kind of be a pet project, but, you know, it, it makes you wonder when you look at, you know, prospects, if you will, at this time, you know, you, t- you talk about Tom McGee years before and, you know, building for the future, it it, it it appears to me looking back on a lot of, you know, Virgil's work and again, how he was presented on television, that he was a prospect of sorts yeah. that just never panned out, you Yeah. Know? And that's interesting to think because you know they there weren't so much living for the future at least so prominently back then as they are now especially.
1: Yeah, I remember as a kid when they just kind of didn't do a lot with Virgil. I always thought like, well, there's a chance that like he'll go groveling back to the Million Dollar Man. He'll be like like it like it would have been interesting. Like I didn't really care for Jimmy Hart with Money Inc. To be quite honest with you, um, but it, it would have been kind of cool if like Virgil was like you know, IRS and DiBiase's, you know, little errand boy. Right. Um, instead of Jimmy Hart. Um, but did you know that Virgil, uh, once spent some time in Memphis wrestling as soul train Jones?
2: Um, you know, I can't say that. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but I can't say that I knew that. No. Yeah.
1: There's a, if you follow him on Instagram, um, at real Virgil, um, he posted a picture once, and he's kind of got the, um, the the Uncle Sam look with you know the top hat and the vest, and kind of going with the Apollo Creed kind of kind of vibe. Uh, but yeah, he was once known as Soul Train Jones down in Memphis. Um, I don't think he was a big big name down there. I, I, he probably had more notoriety, or at least you know his character did on TV there than he did here in the WWF. At least
2: um, I don't know. I mean. I mean, obviously Memphis was its own little world, but I mean, he's Virgil, man. Yeah. You know, just you know the the, the just the mythology and the and the the the, the tongue in cheek nature of how how his character came to be is is lives in wrestling lore along with again his arc as a, as a character on WWF television. Like you said, people got behind him for all the right reasons. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, what you know. Why didn't they, like, What, where, at what point do you think they stopped pushing Virgil? You know what I mean? And, like, why? I
1: feel like know? it ended after DiBiase got the million-dollar belt back. Because um, he won it at the SummerSlam a year prior, which we discussed on last week's show uh, with our Trading Places series covering SummerSlam 1991. And um, <clears throat> I feel like it was after Repo Man helped DiBiase defeat him to win back the million dollar belt was kind of like, that's when like, that was the end for Virgil. And then Virgil just kind of became like a filler. Like he was involved in that eight man tag at WrestleMania earlier in, in 92 with right. boss man, slaughter and dug in against, um, repo man, Mountie and the nasty boys. And they just didn't, you know, didn't put enough emphasis on him. Um, probably this point here with the match with nails is where, um, he got something more significant, even and, just for
2: a brief period of time. And, and, and yeah, and, and and you would argue here that this was really just to get Nails over. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's so, yeah, they, they kind of, the ship had sailed, and they kind of looked at Virgil, I think, yeah, is you know, the 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 pre-Barry Horowitz, Barry Horowitz, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Nails, uh, Nails was an intimidating character as a kid i just remember like the voice like you know and, and i believe it was digitized if i'm not mistaken.
2: big boss man uh,
1: yeah like he just, a type thing. yeah exactly yeah like um nails he like i said as a kid it was very intimidating and it was believable um i even brought up the possibility on last week's show when i was doing the trading places of um from SummerSlam 91, they had that jailhouse match of Boss Man and the Mountie. Yeah. What if the Mountie won and the Boss Man went to jail and that's how they introduced Nails?
2: That would be kind of neat. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: What if Nails was introduced as like the guy like attacking the Boss Man inside the prison in New York? Yeah. At that SummerSlam. That would have been kind of cool. Um, but... Um, Nails wouldn't last very long in the WWF. He uh, he was projected to have a rivalry with Undertaker, and then he fucking knocked Vince McMahon out, <laughs> yeah. and that was the end of I mean, it. That'll, that'll get you you know
2: on the unemployment line pretty quickly. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. He was uh, he was no longer um, no longer active in wrestling. I believe. Oh, he would. You know what? He would make a a brief cameo in WCW. He wrestled Sting, I believe, at. Um, at uh, one of their pay-per-views. I want to say it was like a, a slamboree or something. Um, and he was known as The Prisoner. Same the prisoner. look. Yeah. Oh, fucking
2: awful. Same What's look. The Prisoner doing in the Impact Zone? <laughs> <laughs> impact Zone. That's TNA. Well, yeah. Might as well be. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Jesus. Especially WCW That at 1992 time. That was the lowest of the low. 92? Or you mean 93? Around I would say around this time through ninety three. Oh, you gotta
1: yeah. watch some of their stuff on Saturday night, man. Some of their stuff on W C W Saturday night is, is some pretty in terms of quality wrestling and even like consistent storylines, like some pretty, you know, good stuff. That was like the Bill Watts era, where Bill Watts tried to tighten things up a little bit. There was no ding dongs, there was no hunchbacks, um the dangerous alliance was a main focal point. Of the show, um, it was when Watts, I think, left is when it kind of went back to that, um, you know, the the, the wannabe WWF um, programming.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: here we see uh, a hype video for uh, the Rick Martel Shawn Michaels match here coming up. Um, you know, where Martel kind of uh, showed his affection towards Sensational Sherry. Both guys not allowed to punch each other in the face. That was interesting. An interesting stipulation that they put in the match. Now,
2: um, actually no, never mind. I'll, uh, no, I, no, no, I no, 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 ask me. No, no, no. I was I got it wrong. Uh, this this was not a guilty pleasure of Dennis's. His was the blindfold match. Right? The blindfold
1: match, yes. But but mine I, but too.
2: I, but I um but you know what? I could call this I don't want to say guilty pleasure because I didn't really experience this uh as vividly as as maybe you or Dennis did, but there is a an interesting psychology behind having a match where you can't punch each other in the face that I actually find very very fascinating. You oh know, yeah. Why, you know, maybe in different contexts, in different store in a different story, they could go to this, you know, again, that would be kinda neat. Yeah. You know? And they and they talk about, you know, now you see you see the, the refs who have no legitimacy in wrestling, yeah. you know, always, you know, telling a wrestler to ease up on yeah. a on a closed open fist. Hands, yeah. Exactly. Hand, yeah. Like you know, what if there was like a, you know, as dumb as it's going to sound, what if there was a rule on, say, a 205 Live where like you couldn't you couldn't make face to face contact or something or, or they actually enforced an open hand, close hand rule. Yeah, like, or, if you eliminate a close,
1: if, if you were to eliminate a closed fist kind of um, stipulate, if you're, you know, that, that aspect of the, the actual storytelling of wrestling, you'd have to eliminate a drop kick as well. Uh, yeah. yeah absolutely. I, know, I, well,
2: um, so I mean, you I take mean, you, you, you take you I have to, but I think I, 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 I if you're punching it. someone in the
1: face, you can't, and you're gonna you're gonna institute that as a stipulation that you can't punch someone in the face,
2: then you definitely can't kick someone in the face. Yeah, if they if they you know call it like you know you know strikes to the face are not allowed or whatever. Yeah. You know. At the same time, that could be too overt in terms of being a gimmick. Yeah. Kind of in the same way that Bill Watts. Implemented the no, using the top rope. Thing. Yeah, with but again a light,
1: with a light heavyweight division.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That I think was you, stupid. You could find different like I don't know like I'm all, I'm all about in today's WWE with these different brands and different styles of wrestling that you want to present. If you're the world wrestling entertainment, like you know, it would be it would, I think it would behoove you to present different styles of wrestling, you know, on your various brands. Yeah, you know whether one's more sport than entertainment, one's more entertainment than sport, or you know. Yeah. You know, the different styles of wrestling that are all over the world, you know, you know, you would think that like a, there would be more identity to a brand with stuff like that, not oh, yeah, saying yeah. necessarily that they institute a, a, no closed fist, you know, striking of the face rule on a brand or not, but yeah. uh, I think it would so present there's... some s- s- interesting psychological scenarios yeah. in matches that, uh, that that could be beneficial even in a short term.
1: Bring some ex- exclusivity to the uh, to, to the presentation at times. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Shawn Michaels here making his way against the model Rick Martel. Now on TV, heading into this event, um, Michaels it seemed like Michaels and Brett were on a collision for the Intercontinental Championship. For weeks, they would both kind of trade jabs with each other in various promos. They would have their matches on superstars. Um, And then, uh, you know, Martell on the other side, he had an issue with Tatanka. Um, He had attacked Tatanka and sprayed the arrogance in his face and then stole his feathers and, you know, would call him Buffalo Breath each week on TV. (laughs) Um, And would just go on and on and on about, you know, um, how he's, you know, taking these feathers and turning them into a trend in fashion. And then you get this match, which... It, it, it's kind of an ongoing theme with this event here is that I wouldn't say some of these matches were thrown together, but they had changed a lot of plans and went different courses um, than what you saw on TV. Because if, you, if you're following a timeline here, especially in 1992, at least with WWF superstars, um, Michaels and Brett would have probably been for the Intercontinental Championship at this event. Tatanka and Martel would have been a, a lower-card match, you know? Um, hell, Davey Boy was having an issue with the Repo Man during this time period, before SummerSlam, you know what I mean? Right. But at the same time, um, we've talked about it before, where, like, you know, most times in wrestling, a, a there needs to be an issue between two guys to have, you know, a, a solid rivalry or... Um, you know people to care about the matchup um some of these matches were just announced and people still came and watched them and 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 cared about them you know right. even though there were different stories that 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 weren't attached to those matches um where i feel like you could get away with at least in today's wwe and to some extent in other organizations like AEW or even in, they, they do it in New Japan too. They'll just announce a match between two guys who have may have never wrestled before and people will flock to see the match. You know, I feel like if they were to do that, at least in WWE, I think a... I think an issue can grow from that. Instead of just, like, all of a sudden having an issue with each other. To and then lead, leading to a match, yeah. Leading to a match, you know what I mean? Um,
2: well, I mean, I think, you know, I think they've, they have they strategically do that in WWE. Um, I know that they, you know, the, the most recent I can recall was uh, Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton at SummerSlam. That was just an announced match mm-hmm. that created an issue um, yeah. as of this recording. Oh, I love um, it we are rumored to see Trish Stratus and Charlotte Flair. So yeah. who knows how that goes down, if it's just an announcement or if it's something that transpires with Trish's return to TV or whatever. But I, I would agree. I think I think there's something to be said for, um, for, for booking a match to then lead to a confrontation. Yeah. Um, and not just booking a match like, oh, the winner of this match gets a title shot and then all of a sudden we're supposed to have an issue because we have... Uh, you know, because we're in a fight, like, you know, perfect example in today's, you know, landscape, Natalia versus Becky Lynch, like off the jump, she wins the match and Becky Lynch gets in the ring, you know, with tons of, tons of, you know, ammo to, to throw out her friend to become the, you know, to make that match interesting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I think, you know, there's, there could be more of just basic announcements that I think would make. I mean, that's how they do it in like real fighting in UFC, yeah. you know, you know, someone didn't get, you know, kidnapped yeah. in UFC, <laughs> you know, you know, there wasn't like, you know, someone getting driven off the road yeah. to create an issue like, yeah. you know, it was, they, they, no, it's they, true. Yeah, it's true.
1: It's, this, this match here, um, even though there was, it was a short period of time, um, with build up, uh, they created an issue here as, um you know, Martell had a match with Brett on primetime wrestling and it was for the intercontinental championship. And it looked like he was, you know, um, it looked like he was, uh, going to be victorious with his Boston crab and Michaels showed up and just punched Brett in the face. And the referee saw it and called for the bell. Um, and then that's how the issue became between the two of these guys. Michaels didn't do it to spite Martell. He did it because he had an issue with Brett, but then it kind of jumped off into this. So, um, Something that, you know, I I, I I, can get behind. I will say, though, even as a kid, this was a little strange because these were two bad guys. It was a different formula for me as a youngster. Um, and you don't see many good guy versus good guy and bad guy versus bad guy matchups in wrestling anymore. Because most wrestling fans are still trained to you know, react traditionally to cheering the good guys and booing the bad guys. They want good versus bad, even though they say they don't. So then it doesn't translate well on TV when you have two, you know, wrestlers, you know, of the same persona, so to speak, on the same side facing each other. Um, but this was, this was rather different and strange. I didn't know who, who to cheer for or who to get behind um, because they were both bad guys at that age.
2: Yeah, again, I, yeah, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't think, um, you know, I, it's, I think this is a very weird period. Um, and I think in many ways this was kind of like by accident. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you talk about how things kind of got, you know, plans very much, again, things look thrown together for this. And I think the fact that, you know, we talked about earlier with, you know, certain matches not maybe drawing well in the house shows. The need to try to fit guys on the card, you know, Wembley Stadium, you know, talk about and the Bulldog, and, you know, I'm sure they wanted the British Bulldog in a very high-profile match, Yeah. you know, given, you know, he's the hometown guy, and, and, you know, Bret Hart is a perfect candidate for that, so, you know, I'm sure it started there, I'm gonna guess, in terms of them building this card up, and then when they realized what they were doing... At the top, they kind of saw how that affected the rest of the landscape, and that's kind of what you how you got matches like this. And then you you find two guys like this, and you look at an experienced hand like Rick Martel, and then a, a rising star in Shawn Michaels, and it you know I think they looked at the the opportunity to to grow Shawn Michaels as a performer with an experienced guy like Martel. Yeah. And then they were like, okay, now we've got these two guys in our frame here. Like, why do we make it interesting? Yeah. You know. And they probably looked at it like that. Oh, it's two bad guys. You know what I mean? And if you think about it too, like sensational Sherry's like probably still one of the most hated heels in the company at this point. It almost at this you know at her expense, she almost makes both these guys baby faces. You know, by being the scored bitch. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, so I think it's. It's a very it's like interesting they're doing video. all this for her. Yeah, she's, she's
1: she's having these guys rip each other apart for her. Like, yeah, what exactly. a bitch. Yeah, right.
2: And, and, bros and, before hoes. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you know they're not really bros, but yeah, yeah. no, but go. It, no, but no, like it's it's not like it was, you know. Oh, there we go. Broke the rule. No hitting in the face, and the bell didn't ring. I know it wasn't, like, an official rule, but you'd think that would have been They both agreed to it. Yeah. Is what,
1: you know, it was it was implied and on TV. And that's like, the
2: fact that they go back and forth, like, I feel like would have gotten a good pop.
1: <laughs> she passed out. That's great. Yeah, Sherry, um... Sherry, Sherry you know what, honestly, Sherry's one of those... Sherry's one of those managers and those characters where she's... <laughs> He just kicked her off. Um, She wanted their attention. Yeah, and she got it. Um, Where she benefited just about from being with anyone, and they benefited from having her. You know what I mean? Um, She was, for at least in the WWF and in my timeline, you know, Macho King Randy Savage. She was Queen Sherry. Both of them were so intense that they. <laughs> He's CPR. But I think Bobby Heeman on commentary said, give her mouth to mouth restitution. <laughs> but um, she was with Macho King, and both those characters are so intense, they worked so well together. Then um, that ended, and they put her with DiBiase and gave DiBiase a little bit of an arm piece. Um, and you know, she wasn't as intense as she was with Macho King, but um, she 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 brought an interesting <laughs> piece to DB. There she is, getting up, <laughs> and then she'll she'll faint and go back down once they kind of see her. She'll pretend, or maybe not. Um, yep, yep there you go. <laughs> there may- <laughs> um and then they put her with Michaels to give Michaels a little bit of a rub because he was still, you know, fairly new in the single scene in the WWF, you know, even though he had a s- substantial run with Genetti and the Rockers. Um, and then after this... J.J.
2: Dillon, a very rare WWF oh, wow. appearance.
1: I didn't realize that.
2: I didn't either. I was like, because I know, like, you know, Renee Gley and Tony Garea, and, like, you know, Dave Habner, yep. and then I was like, who's that? I was like, oh, shit.
1: Blackjack Lanza. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Like, There's J.J. There's Tony Chimmel.
1: Yeah, Chimmel's been around forever. Yeah, Chimmel's Chimmel's uh, Chimmel's a company
2: guy. I read recently that he he uh, ring announced a match on a house show. Was, I did. I saw that. Yeah, his grandkid well, to think he's that old. Was his grandkid was in the audience and he yep. went to ring announce. I thought that was cool shit.
1: I saw that. Um, I don't know who would be the longest tenured um, employee uh, or longest tenured ten ninety nine for. WWE and anymore, but it used to be Finkel. Well, Finkel's still employed. He's still on the payroll, right? They yeah. just don't do anything because of his health. Yeah. Um,
2: which but, uh, did you I see those pictures recently with him at WrestleMania weekend? Yeah, yeah. he didn't look that great. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've I've been told that he's pretty much like the resident like statistician historian of the company. Fink. Yeah. Yeah. Like he pretty much just spends all his time, you know, just. You know, they, again, that i think the Fink thing was kind of a shoot. Yeah. You know, the guy knows everything there is to know about the entire company. He's, I believe he's technically the first employee. I think so, too. In the WWF. At least ever... in under Vince McMahon's, you know, control after taking over from his dad.
1: Yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Fink tells the story that he was hired by Vince and Linda in the arena at the, the old New Haven Coliseum in New Haven, Connecticut, I want to say. I think that's where they offered yep. him the position, yep. if I'm not
2: mistaken. Yep. I remember- it's, it's, yeah, I believe that's true. And I think, you know, to get a little bit off the tracks a little, um, there was like a documentary like locally that aired about the New Haven Coliseum
1: oh really um interesting
2: probably a couple years ago okay and Howard Finkel was featured in there and I think he even mentioned that like his first gig or his earliest days of ring announcing were at the New Haven Coliseum yeah
1: you, uh, you might remember. It,
2: it's like a lo- it was probably like done by like channel 8 or like you okay. know CPTV or something like that okay PBS yeah something the- something local but it was, okay I remember hearing about it or seeing snippets of it and yeah Howard Finkel spoken it or someone spoke on his behalf.
1: Oh, here we go. Martel brings the, the, the bucket of water. The circus is in town. Um, so what were you going to say? Oh, um, the New Haven Coliseum. Um, I think you, you probably remember this. The last event to ever take place inside the New Haven Coliseum was a WWE house show um, in 2002, the night after SummerSlam. That was when yep. they used to run Monday Night. Oh, they still kind of run Monday Night House shows, but it was a SmackDown show. And the main event, I believe, was Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, and um, I want to say Billy Kidman was Something, like, right? yeah, or, I forget. Or maybe Eddie Guerrero um, was a part of that. I forget. But, yeah, it was at the old New Haven Coliseum. It was the last event ever that was held before they tore that building down.
2: It's interesting in history that WWE has lays claims to that um rightfully so accurately so rather uh they were the last event at the boston garden in 93 joe lewis uh, i believe recently were they the last of joe lewis or was that their last time in joe lewis um
1: oh you might yeah i'm not i'm not 100 sure yeah but
2: i at least i remember that they were the last event apparently at the boston the old boston garden that's Survivor series 1993.
1: Really? That was the last of it. Uh, that's, okay.
2: what re- that's what I that's what that's what people say. Okay. So I don't know for sure. Um so we'll just go with it. <laughs> but um yeah, I do remember like a couple years ago the last their last time at the Joe Lewis Arena. Um yeah, they made a big deal of that, t-shirts yeah. and stuff, you know, they were selling that it was the last time at the Joe and
1: I Didn't mean- they do that for um uh, Nassau Coliseum in Long Island because originally that building was going to get torn down.
2: They may have. I think you're and, right. And
1: they redid, they, they redid it in the last couple of years.
2: I think they did that too because um, at the time, and I still think it might even be a, like, a standing issue now, uh, the New York Islanders, they had moved to, to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and Barclays, Brooklyn's yeah. lease or their lease with the Barclays Center was, was running out, and I believe Nassau wanted to bring them back. At the same time, Hartford tried to bring the Islanders, yeah, even on a temporary basis, like so. But, but they I,
1: also enticed Hartford. Hartford also enti- tried to entice the Islanders by saying that they were going to drop two hundred and fifty million dollars on renovating the building too. Right, which is yet to be done. Yeah. So uh,
2: I'm not really sure. Um, but I want to say that yeah, I think there was a. They kind of decided, all right, let's just keep this this joint open because we're going to, you know, bring the, the Islanders back. And I think that's still a, a, an ongoing effort now over there. I could be wrong, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting to say the least. Again, the WWE's had uh, several of the last events allegedly in in closing arenas from Shaker Heights, Ohio. The Beverly Brothers, uh,
1: Bo and Blake Beverly, with the Genius as their manager. Genius. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, like, like I said earlier, the the, the, the going into this event. It seemed like they were on that collision course with the Legion of Doom, but then all of a sudden, uh, they, um, they, uh, they, they were headed towards a tag team title match with the Natural Disasters. Um, but, uh, the yeah, the Beverly Brothers, uh, Bo and Blake, the Destruction Crew, uh, Wayne Bloom and Mike Enos. Um, Wayne Bloom on the left, Mike Enos. Or, I'm sorry, Wayne Bloom on your right, Mike Enos on your left. Um, Mike Enos. Famously, his his claim to fame isn't being a Beverly brother. His claim to fame is being in the ring when Scott Hall made his debut in WCW on Nitro.
2: Yeah, that's right. That that
1: that was that was uh, Mike Eno's claim to fame. Yeah,
2: because as a, as a as a little bit younger than these years here, you know, at least consciously, i I the the Beverly Brothers is a rather forgetful team. For oh yeah, me. For I don't sure. recall much of anything they ever did in. in in wrestling in my lifetime.
1: And Mike Enos, I believe, at the time in WCW, he he went by Mike Enos, but he was called the Mauler. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he was managed by uh Colonel Robacov. <laughs> Natural disasters here, earthquake and typhoon. WWF tag team champions making their way down to the ring. They just recently defeated Money Incorporated for those championships. Um I don't know if that was wrestling challenge or primetime wrestling or something. But, um, yeah, Earthquake was, um, Earthquake was an intimidating uh, character as a kid, especially when he, uh, he put Hogan out um, on that Brother Love show. Hmm. Um, I, was, I, was, I wouldn't say I was petrified, but I was, I was pretty intimidated. Um, but, yeah, um, John Tenta, belie- believe it or not, a former sumo
2: wrestler. Yes, that is true. And I believe he also played football at LSU. Really? Believe so. Okay. Um, I can okay. double check on that, but I want to say that's um. That and what was... about what about Uncle Fred over here? That's right, baby. Uncle Fred, poor Uncle Fred. So John Tenta, my quick little Wikipedia, uh, which may or
1: may not be correct because it is Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, we could change that at any time.
2: <laughs> I want to say. Uh no, he was. A uh, wrestler at LSU. Louis, okay. No, sorry, yeah, LSU. I'm sorry, okay. yeah, he was a wrestler there. And uh, as Wikipedia is saying, um, he was nicknamed Big John Tenta, lettering at the on the Tiger Varsity wrestling team and participated on... He was, he was on the football team, but I guess he was a primarily a wrestler. They had dropped wrestling to comply with Title Nine in 85, forcing him to choose a sport, and that's when he decided to play football. And, uh... Yeah. Interesting. And then he also was a rugby player uh, for the LSU
1: Rugby Club. Can't imagine many people taking him down. <laughs> yeah. And you know what?
2: He doesn't look athletic, but the fact that he was able to have that range athletically sumo wrestling, football, wrestling, amateur wrestling, you know, Greco Roman wrestling, you know, and then to make put it all together here, like, very underrated big man, I would say. You, you don't,
1: re- you don't, you obviously don't remember his debut, but his debut in the WWF came when they, um, they brought him in like he was a fan. Um, Ultimate Warrior was having a um, uh, like a push-up contest with Dino Bravo, and uh, Jimmy Hart managed Dino Bravo at the time, and so they wanted to get someone from in the audience to sit on um, both guys' back and see who could do the most push-ups. Right. And so Jimmy Hart was like standing on the second row, but he was trying to scout you know, scour the 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 audience to find a a, a perfect candidate and. Um, they didn't find him in the front row. He was, like, sitting in the bleachers, like, way up. I would say way up in the bleachers, but, like, in the lower bowl section of the arena. And then, like, the camera panned to him. And he just, he was, you know, jeans, button-down shirt, looked like a regular guy, uh, you know, attending the wrestling matches. Like, there were a couple of kids sitting next to him. I don't know if they were his kids or not, but he just looked like a regular dude. And he came in the ring, and um, he sat on the back of Ultimate Warrior. And then at one point... Um, it was all a ruse by Jimmy Hart and Dino Bravo, and he eventually attacked the Ultimate Warrior, and that's how we we were um, introduced I to the that. Canadian Earthquake. Yeah, if you go YouTube it or Google it, um, you'll find it, but yeah, it was an interesting way to uh, bring him in, and like... It, Nowadays, when they do that sort of thing, like it's like oh, they find someone in the front row or the second row, you know. Um, with the exception of uh, Nicholas a couple years ago at WrestleMania with Braun Strowman, where Braun walked through the Superdome, yeah, which I thought that was kind of cool, which made it a little
2: more unique yeah. than the
1: traditional like, hey,
2: you random guy in the front row, yeah, he paid thousands of dollars to sit here, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. sitting next to like Triple H's parents, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, like... right. yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. So that was that was an interesting way to uh, to bring. Earth in. And then, of course, you know you got Uncle Fred, baby. That's right, baby. Poor Uncle Fred,
2: um, typhoon there, tugboat. Um, nice little revival of his career. Shockmaster. The, yeah, the, the 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 comeback of the Shockmaster.
1: Yeah, Shockmaster's been a, uh, a a a big part of the convention circuit over the years. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, he makes. You know, I, w- I don't know what what he makes on the convention circuit, but between that and 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 tugboat, you know, he does. Multiple signings in in one shot under the two different characters. Um, I believe uh, um, Charles Wright Godfather does that as well. He'll, he'll he'll be advertised at a convention as Godfather, and then he'll also be advertised as Papa Shango. So I wonder, I wonder what, what kind of booking fee is like with, when it comes. Probably to Probably
2: tries to go for more, at least more than the going rate. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've heard of you know, you know, other guys try to do stuff like that too. You get more get more bang for your buck. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, it's, it's kind of, you know, got to pay the bills.
1: Conrad Thompson said once on, on, uh, Shivani's podcast that, um, Sting wanted an extra five grand to put the red and black face paint on as opposed to the black and the white to do, to do star cast. Cause Conrad wanted to do like a Wolfpack Sting, um, autograph signing. And he, and, and Conrad said that Sting
2: wanted an extra five G's for, uh hey if you can get it man
0: i I don't think sting needs
2: it but you know this stuff's probably you know in many ways i think for a guy like sting who has who has the coin like you know he'll get what he can and he probably doesn't do it for the you know for anything less than what he's worth but you know in some ways a lot of that's probably a hassle and that's probably why he does jack up the price for five grand to throw on different hard to find
1: red paint no, he's probably like you
2: know what if that, you know like I have my gimmick, you 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 booked me for a reason. Like yeah. I have my I have my shtick. You know this is what I do, and you want me to deviate a little bit because you have this in mind. Well, it's going to cost you a little bit more. I mean, you know, I think that's just the the old school carny you know type of you know mentality that still exists. You know, yeah. I mean, come on, Hulk Hogan charges what like twenty five grand for an appearance to do autographs somewhere. You know, like I think I think it is. Um...
1: At his, uh, his 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 store, it's like a hundred bucks a pop to meet him. Yeah,
2: that's nuts.
1: But I people mean, will pay, yeah. so you know, I'll like, be one of those that pays for sure.
2: For a hundred bucks, I probably would pay too. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I mean, they sell and, tickets for it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, having been there a couple months ago, I showed you those pictures. That place is cool as oh, shit. Man. You would you would dig it. It's, yeah. it's, it's 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 such a cool little fun joint. You know, just yeah. those pictures different... are
1: up on the Facebook on. Uh, you know, Uh, kicking out of two's facebook facebook facebook.com
2: forward slash uh, kicking out yeah that was that was the orlando location not the um that was what november that was in november okay Uh, so you're
1: gonna scroll back a little bit to november of 2018 to find some of those pictures i believe yeah
2: Um, but i believe that's where they did the nwo reunion signing yep um i think that's kind of where he goes for his signings probably because it's 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 a a larger location it's a high volume tourist area as well um you know it's not too far away from well it's basically in the heart of everything in terms of activity going on in Orlando it's not far from Universal Studios that's right down the road
1: is it right in Kissimmee in that main strip um
2: no it's um it's like they they even locationally speaking they they call it like the iDrive uh area so it's like near International Drive I want to say it's like right off like the road would be like literally like Universal Studios is probably like a two minute drive away okay um so yeah it's it's where it's all right there um Cause I used to actually work out at the Gold's Gym, like literally like a block away. Gold's Gym, where I where I saw Charlotte Flair a handful of times. That's really? where she be. Yeah, she worked oh, out. She worked that. out at Gold's Gym over there in Orlando. Uh, I believe she still lives in Orlando. Uh, but I probably saw her like three or four times. And this is what turned me on to her as a, as a wrestler is actually seeing how hard she works in the gym. Like, there's a reason she's Ric Flair's daughter. Oh, like, of course. the legend of Ric Flair and his athleticism and his work ethic. You know, even off hours. You know to me doesn't get talked about enough and it definitely rubbed off on her because she, I I never saw anyone else in the other, in the gym at any given time when she was there work harder than she did and that was that's when I was and this is when she was like turning heel in her early WWE main roster run Okay, you know she'd kind of you know did away with you know the you know winning the championship for her brother and like you know the daughter of the legend she yep. kind of took on her dad's character as the evil Castiel and Whelan deal and you know um, better than you character okay so this was so this was well she had she had had that character for about a year now so it's 2017 so um but i was it was starting to rub off on me and then it, and then it put it over the top when i just saw her was just like you know just busting her ass in the gym man that's that's you see a real person a little bit didn't interrupt her or ask her anything or talk to her but you know you know those, you catch you catch her in a few moments like damn she is busting her ass so hands down to me like that's why she's the best woman's wrestler on the planet just seeing what she's able to do off hours you it's real to her oh yeah you know and i and i appreciate that this is a it's a lifestyle being a professional wrestler to her not just a job or an occupation or a hobby yeah you know she's definitely a flair for sure
1: yeah we've kind of gone off the rails here a little bit um you know, in this, in this, uh, during this match here, I mean, it's not something that, you know, I think we can talk about at great length here. Yeah. <laughs> <because laughs> I was the say. Beverly Brothers and the natural disasters, but, um, uh, tag team title match here. Um, crowd seems to be into it for the most part. Um,
2: I wonder what the Beverly Brothers are doing now. I believe Wayne Bloom's kid is, uh, prospect at the performance center
1: oh okay i think i've heard that before
2: i believe he is yeah i think
1: i've heard that before um okay and
2: i i want to say he's he's a big sized kid i don't know for sure yeah um i can go back on the the wiki machine um get a get a, uh,
1: wayne bloom a guest coaching spot at the performance center like everybody else
2: yeah yeah know? um yeah, I As of this recording, Yeah, I his believe... son, Cal. Cal, okay. Um, yeah, Cal Bloom, who, at least in the personal life section of Wayne Bloom, Wayne has a son named Cal, who is also a pro wrestler, and in March of 2019, he signed a deal with WWE. Interesting. So, um, yeah. So the Beverly Brothers are going into the Hall of Fame next year. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> oh,
1: my goodness. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Oh, God, I know. The way that they... They kind of do that Hall of Fame up. I think I think definitely Earthquake should go in. I think Earthquake uh, on his own could go in, but it wouldn't surprise me if they put him and Typhoon in together, and we got um, we got a, a shockmaster like moment at the Hall of Fame ceremony.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: And this is it right here. Match over. Wow, crowd pop pretty big for that. See the reaction there is. Still your World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Earthquake and Typhoon, the natural disasters. Looks like they're going to get a piece of the genius here. Bringing Lanny Poffo into the ring. Unlike my brother, I can't wrestle a lick. But unlike my brother, I can suck my own dick.
2: (laughs) Jesus. But, uh, yeah, I mean... I could definitely see these guys in the Hall of Fame as a team. That's probably the more likely of the two. Um, it kind of softens the blow of, you know, an in absentia induction. A posthumous induction, if you will, of um, of Tenta. Adds some levity with the, you know, Tenta, the... Or, excuse me, uh, Frank Ottman, the Shockmaster. Fred. Fred. Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred, baby. Um, Paul Uncle Fred. So... Yeah, I could. I. I. I think that's probably sooner rather than later, for sure. You see a lot of uh, Shockmaster cameos and network programming as well. So, yeah, had a yeah.
1: spot in the first episode of the Agent Christian show.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: Made a fucking toy out of him.
2: Yeah, so you know? I, th- I. I think it's common. Like I said, probably sooner than later. You know, I don't know if he lives in Tampa or not. I know he's obviously you know a relative of the Rhodes family, even by marriage. His. Uh, his. White his sister is the widow of Dusty Rhodes. So, uh...
1: Oh, wait a minute, so... so
2: Uncle M- Fred.
1: Michelle is the... Michelle Rhodes, or Michelle Runnels? Yeah, I believe that... Dusty's, la- Dusty's wife? I believe She's is... She's the sister, sister of... Of, of, of Tenta. No
2: yeah. kidding. Uh, yeah, Fred Almond, yeah. Um, wow, okay. I believe so. I'm, okay. like, 90% sure on that. And I know Jer- Nasty Boy Sags is also on that family tree as well. Um, I'm is not
1: he married sure. to another Dusty sister? Or? Um... I think so. Um I I've heard he was related in some form or fashion. I just didn't sure. I wasn't sure how. Man, Dusty, uh all kinds of all kinds of family ties. Um, in the wrestling business. with the American dream, baby? That they rode. Bushwhackers here, cutting a useless promo. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they wrestled in a dark match that was scheduled to air at a later date for primetime wrestling as they teamed with Hacksaw Jim Duggan to take on and defeat the Mountie and the Nasty Boys before SummerSlam went live on the air. Um, I wasn't... I, honestly, everyone thinks, you know... The Bushwhacker. I mean, I, I I'm not a Bushwhacker fan. Never was, and I didn't think that they deserved a, uh, a you know a Hall of Fame, you know, uh, induction. But you know, a lot of people will say that you know they were a big staple of the WWF. At least I just didn't you
2: know. I wasn't. think they were a mem- I think they were a memorable, like you. I think they were a memorable team. Just on out of their.
1: They were the popcorn match team. Yeah,
2: but, I mean, people remember them. Um, if nothing else, could they tell you their favorite Bushwhacker match? Absolutely not. But uh, that's, I mean, again, I I think that's part of the reason why they got in. I think the other is, you know, probably the more concrete reason is it's a lifetime achievement award. Yeah. You know, I think you look at almost anybody who's... Luke is in, also
1: like a Hogan disciple, too, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, he does a lot of appearances at that at that beach shop. Hogan works okay. out at his
1: gym in Tampa. I see a lot of videos and pictures of that where he's pumping yeah. iron at Bushwhacker Luke's gym.
2: Yeah, I think I think, you know, you look at the years of service a lot of these wrestlers that get in the hall of fame are uh, are putting in, you know, and I think that's really the the main reason about ninety percent of them get in the hall of fame is just again their their years of service to wrestling more than anything. Again, of course if they can sell tickets that helps too. So
1: now this match here Coming up, Crush and Repo Man. Um, Crush had debuted a new version of himself um, in the spring of '92. Repo Man was already kind of established in the WWF at this time. Surprisingly enough, doing my research, this match here was not broadcast on the UK live version of this pay-per-view. Really? Yeah. Wow. They did like one of those like intermission type deals for the UK audience. Um, while this match was going on. So the UK audience that watched this on pay-per-view or their local um, network uh, didn't get to see this match. But the, but the live crowd did. But then this made air in the United States on that tape delay.
2: Oh. Yeah. Okay. Which well, I don't
1: know. The re- the, during my research, there was no reason behind that. Um, was this match advertised beforehand? And the thing was, this match was advertised. <laughs> On the pay-per-view, which also, I'll, while we're on that subject, um, they had advertised Tatanka and the Berserker, and the match took place on this show, how, and it took place after the Randy Savage Ultimate Warrior match, but it didn't make air in the United States. That, that, that hit the cutting room floor in post-production Whoa. as well. Tatanka would end up defeating the Berserker in that match. So both of these matches were advertised in the United States on episodes of Superstars. However, um, you know, uh, this didn't make air in the UK and Tatanka and the Berserker didn't make air in the United States, which was interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I I found that interesting. There wasn't really any concrete reason why. I think like I think the Tatanka Berserker match got cut because of time restraints um, when they had to do, you know, the the, the post production edits before they uh, broadcasted it in the United States, I don't know what the time difference was at the time. I know it's six hours over there; they're ahead. But um, I don't know if they did this like on a Sunday and then they in the UK and then they aired it on a Monday in the in the United States. I could be mistaken, um, or if they. Aired it, you know, Monday, United States, regular time, standard, Eastern Standard Time. Yeah, I'm not sure how that all, how that all came about. Let me look that up, as well, a matter it, of fact, it,
2: while we're... It's, um, it, it also makes you wonder, too, you know, especially now with WWE kind of, you know, branching out into, you know, Saudi Arabia and kind of putting on these glorified house shows, if you will, with some announced matches, like, okay, you know, we another one that we... You know, we talked about announced matches that create issues. They had Randy Orton versus Triple H at that one. The prior year, they had Triple H versus John Cena. Um, Triple H and Undertaker. Yeah. um, I think um, you could argue that this is kind of the precursor to that because this is kind of their way of entering a a new market, you know, just loading up the card, you know what I mean? Especially because this was exclusive to the United Kingdom, or at least, you know, live at least. For the United Kingdom only, um, you could argue that you know they're just they're just all hands on deck here, and like you said, they just didn't have enough time, and probably knew ahead of time that like all right, only so many of these matches are going to make it to the United States, but at least the you know we want the crowd to know about all of our guys, our deep roster. So like I said, I think this 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 has some shades of what we see now with the WWE in Saudi Arabia in terms of like we are. You know, all hands on deck. We're loading up uh, because we're gonna put on the best show, even if there isn't like a an episodic flow to it.
1: Here's some interesting uh, statistics that I've uh, stumbled upon in some of my research. The WWF collected two million two hundred thousand dollars in revenue from admissions. Up from $445,000 the previous year the company also sold $1,406,203 in merchandise at this SummerSlam which is the largest amount of merchandise revenue at a WWF event at that time the buy rate for this event was 1.5 down from 2.7 at SummerSlam 91 but higher than the 1.3 buy rate for SummerSlam 1993 SummerSlam 1992 was released on on VHS on September the 24th, 1992. While the US release only included eight matches shown on the pay-per-view, the UK release included all 11 matches, including the three dark matches. On October 3rd 2005 in the United Kingdom the event was released on DVD packaged together with SummerSlam 1993 as a part of the WWE Tagged Classics line. The event was again later released as a part of WWE SummerSlam Anthology box DVD set. The anthology was released on August 5th 2008 in North America and was released October the 6, 2008 in the United Kingdom. However, the version that is included but the anthology is only the eight-match pay-per-view broadcast version. Hmm.
2: It also makes you wonder, too. You know, until they did, you know, until the network came about and they had, you know, NXT takeovers over there, you know, why didn't, you know, I, the, the, the easiest answer to this, I, I think we all know, but, you know, what was really preventing them from going over and doing another pay-per-view over there between 1992 and Today. 2015, you know what I mean? But like, uh, like honestly, like I know they're going to say the easiest answer is probably, well, you know, the time difference. But... Um, I feel like, like they can get away with it now. Now they can. But, you know, from 1992 to 2014, before the network came about, they couldn't do, like, what was stopping. I'm not saying go into a WrestleMania yeah. over there. But just, you know... Even a SummerSlam. Yeah, you did a SummerSlam, you know what I mean, and and you know I I seem to I, I seem to recall you know the answer being at least from a McMahon point of view, especially when asked about WrestleMania, was you know the time difference, and I get that, but you know was there a certain fallout, and I'm, and I'm asking this based on the numbers you read off. Is there a certain fallout? Did that did this event maybe underperform to their expectations, maybe, or was there maybe a, a technical, you know, um, aspect that? that was less than desirable. You know, that made them say uh ah, we this is this is a, a huge undertaking to go and do, you know? I mean, nothing that I
1: nothing th- nothing that I've read uh, indicates any of that. Um I mean, just from obvious uh just for obvious reasons based on our knowledge um over the course of wrestling history, I'm venturing to guess that um Up until the late 90s, um, running a stadium show like that internationally wasn't a thought in their mind because of the way that they were operating the company and how they weren't as successful. Obviously, 93, 94, 95, especially 97, those years, 97, um, you know, years like that, they wouldn't even think of doing something like that because... Um, they were on such a tight budget because of the the way the the business was and the way the company was structured and how they were just kind of getting their asses handed to them. Right, um, that's true. From WCW at the time, I will say that there was probably a a glimmer of hope um, in two thousand and one when uh, when they ran uh, the Astrodome domestically here in the United States for that WrestleMania. Yeah, and uh, when they did that. Um, I think that's when, like, I think when they saw the success of stadium shows for WrestleManias again, um, going into the 2000s. I think that's when the talk became, you know, why can't we run a show over in the UK like we did SummerSlam '92? Um, But I think a lot. I think that has a a, a factor in it when it comes to um, running a show over there. The the fact that the the years weren't very kind to the WWF. Yeah,
2: that's a good point. I think that's a that's probably as part of the reason as well just again the business aspect of it the 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 undertaking of sorts they also during very lean years
1: you know during this time period this is 92 there was no internet there was no spoilers they were able to tape this ahead of time and then air it in the united states domestically without people really um knowing what's going on i mean even the Meltzer dirt rags the people that you know read those read the dirt sheets Meltzer couldn't print that out fast enough um before the before the <laughs> the airing of this show so right, right you know he was even a victim of having to wait um whereas you know in later years as the internet became more prevalent and spoilers were you know a thing um that would affect it uh that would that would affect people wanting to watch this event however um even back then okay even in the 90s let's just say you know, even in the '90s, Super Bowls were still an all-day kind of thing with all the coverage that they had Absolutely. and starting earlier in the day. You know, I feel like they could have structured a big event like a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam from the UK internationally um, in like a '98, a '99, um, and uh, you know, do it in a way where you know you're you're avoiding people from uh, reading
2: spoilers and you you start the event at like a three or four o'clock in the afternoon i think that i mean i think if they're gonna you know obviously i don't see a change anytime soon but i think if you know with pay-per-views being on a sunday and it's being as long as they are i think they should start in the afternoon yeah you know i for sure i think i think they should be a four o'clock five o'clock start you know and they go till nine or ten you know if you're gonna still make them six hours long or whatever you know i think that would i think that's i mean and you can I don't know. I just, I, I, just don't think it's um. Again, the way that the way that they're they're stretched out now, it's just it's it's a long it's day. It's exhausting. Yeah, but then again, you look at WrestleMania. Just think about how early an entire production would you know, the, you know, the talent get there at what like ten in the morning, for, you know, nine in the morning to for WrestleMania which starts at 7. And they still probably you know I mean?
1: do, like, daytime rehearsals. Even yeah. They do the nighttime the night before. They probably still do the daytime rehearsals. They, yeah, exactly. You know, a couple hours before they open the
2: doors. So yeah, imagine get,
1: if you put on a WrestleMania at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern. A call Eastern time, time. They're there.
2: probably showing up, like, 6 a.m. Yeah. That's probably it. You a, might as uh, well
1: just stay at the fucking arena the night before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at that rate. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like. When it comes to the the big stadium shows now and i kind of covered this a couple weeks ago um when it when it comes to long events um put a halftime show of some sorts um if you're going to do three o'clock in the afternoon you want to get everyone on the card you do four or five matches like um, Remember when? Remember when WWE did WrestleMania all day long in 2000? Yeah. Okay, and it was basically just like a uh, a history of WrestleMania leading up to that year, and they had like WrestleMania highlights and clips, and I believe they showed every WrestleMania in its entirety throughout the course of that whole day leading I up. I believe to, that's true. Yeah. Okay, it was almost like a continuous stream. Um, it was like it was like and in many ways it was like the early early you know, the precursor to the live stream of the WWE network. Where did they show that? They showed it on pay-per-view. You ordered That's it at a special right. price. It was like yes. it was like I think it was like almost a hundred dollars to get WrestleMania all day
2: long. I wonder how that went. I wonder how I'd you love know what, to know what the yeah, the, um, to, the business results of that were. Yeah, I can't imagine um,
1: I mean you had the opportunity to, to, to watch every single WrestleMania from start to finish all day leading up to I believe it started at like midnight, then you know, the night before I wanna say. Probably yeah. Because there were fifteen WrestleManias before that and I'm sure they showed content in between each WrestleMania with different interviews and highlight clips. Um, we kind of talked over the, the the hype for this matchup here, but we discussed it earlier. Savage and Warrior for the title. Flair and Perfect have interjected themselves, leading everyone to believe that Mr. Perfect is going to be in one of these individuals' corners. Um, it's a big babyface versus baby face matchup as the Ultimate Warrior um, makes his way down to the ring. Big ovation for him. Notice that little platform there where he had to kind of step up.
2: Yeah, stuff you don't think about, Yeah, you know. I mean, you think about it now because you're a wrestling fan, but, I mean, just how an audience is going to have to view it from every single seat in the arena, like, that's stuff that you go to school to find out about, If yep. you think about, because I wouldn't think, oh, well, if you just raise it up two feet, everyone can see it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's exactly what it is, because the the engineering of the building isn't designed to, to settle everyone's eyes and senses to one spot in the middle versus... i always liked
1: that The, the they kind of had the raised platform where they put the ring on um i thought that was uh an, an interesting take uh from a presentation standpoint
2: yeah it definitely has to do with again those in the building more so than anyone on television but they, there is probably a television aspect too with it as far as like the hard camera is concerned yeah. You know what I mean? Where to position the hard camera? You go yeah. higher, you go well, lower. Well, hard cameras further away. Yeah. So, yeah, it probably has a lot. And it probably does have something to do with it, too. So I
1: would imagine, at least for this event, they they had the, and probably most stadium shows, they have the hard camera um, like on a scaffolding structure. Yeah. Like this here, this shot here. Um, I don't see that hard camera in the, the, the seating, uh, the, the, the stadium seats of the, the, the lower bowl here. Yeah,
2: at the bigger events, they have a big, giant. Tent at like WrestleMania yep. and such. It's a giant tent where all their audio and 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 uh, a lot of their cameras are behind that. Typically, yep. Um, but things are covered, especially in outdoor events where there's the potential for inclement weather. They'll um, they'll have a lot of that equipment, kind of station in one area. Um, again, with the cameras on on scaffolding behind it. If you remember the, the Shane McMahon Miz yep. match, that's where they that's that was all hard camera yeah.
1: equipment. So Same thing with uh, uh, the 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 infamous uh, shot at uh, WrestleMania seventeen during the Undertaker uh, Triple H match where they fought over that area the, the scaffolding structure. Yeah. Um. So uh, when it comes to this match here. Um, I guess there was more to the Mr. Perfect Ric Flair element um, as I'm doing my research here. After plans by WWF writers to turn the Ultimate Warrior against Savage were scrapped due to the Warrior's refusal to turn heel, the two were scheduled to face Flair and Razor Ramon at Survivor Series 1992. However, as the Warrior quit the promotion on November 21st, his spot was surprisingly offered to Mr. Perfect, who accepted it in spite of Flair, thereby turning face and initiating a feud with Flair, which culminated in Flair leaving the WWF in January of 1993. So apparently there was... There was discussions of having the Warrior turn on Savage, um, either at this match or not too long after this match, but Warrior had refused to uh, to turn him heel. So um, or Warrior refused to let them turn him heel. So it seems like, based on my research, that um, you know the the Mr. Perfect Ric Flair involvement was definitely going to play a bigger bigger role than it than it, tra- than it transpired here on. Uh, in, Historically, in front of us,
2: yeah, um, an ultimate warrior heel turn. It seemed yeah, and 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 you get to this point of the of the match it seems to be much to do about nothing. Once yeah. they get to once you know you get the guys in the ring, you're like, well, where's all this going? And then it's just nope, that's there's nothing going on, you know. Yeah. But uh, again, they had like you said, they had they they threw they threw a lot of things together, and I think they they just needed to find ways to make it interesting just for these one offs, so.
1: See, they're both going back and forth. Did you take the money? Did, you know, is it? Are you with Mister Perfect? No, are you with Mister Perfect? This is this? isn't about the belt. No, this is about the belt. Like, shake my hand. You know, it was um.
2: Two peas in a pod.
1: Yeah, two lunatics right here. But I did like them as a team when they did that little Ultimate Maniacs. Yeah. Kind of vibe. And um, they
2: were they were uh, they teamed together at Survivor Series. They were supposed
1: to, but Warrior oh, quit. Right, that's Warrior. Right. W- well, Warrior, Warrior, Warrior claims he quit. WWE claims they fired him because he failed a drug test with Davey right. Boy. Yep. Um, and this was right before um, the WWF was headed into. Uh, the uh, the uncharted waters of uh, a, a trial with the federal government over, over the steroid distribution scandal.
2: So they, they were they were cutting their losses. Um, yeah, the youth pro- movement was already in motion. Too. Youth
1: movement was in motion. You know, the steroid trial was in place. They were using smaller guys. Hogan was not a Hogan was not around, and he was a big figurehead that many people expected to be involved in that trial. He eventually was. Um, the star witness, so to speak. Um, everyone thought he was going to put the final nail in the coffin of Vince McMahon. But this was brewing for a number of years, this, this steroid trial. And that's another reason why they, they, they cut their losses with Warrior and Bulldog at that time.
2: Yeah, and you could argue that the public perception of professional wrestling has really never recovered since the steroid trial. Oh, God, no. Um, the stigmas are there. Uh, they were always kind of underneath before, but once things made headline news and were on a national stage, you know, in the most unflattering of ways. Like I said, you could. It, it's probably argued that the company has never fully recovered. That things are just aren't the same anymore. From I guess a credibility I mean. standpoint. Yeah, it's just it's the the popularity of it in a endearing way has really never reared itself again you know yeah like you know when they got popular at the end tail end of this decade in the 90s it wasn't for the right reasons if you will yeah um and that was a sign of the times too but at the same time like you know the 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 bottled up you know produced you know family oriented entertainment that the wwe was at this time uh that shine that they worked hard to 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 bring to the world kind of Kind of got lost because of what was re- quote unquote really happening. Yeah. So yeah, you, I would say that even to this day and then you go you look further back and, to other scandals and you know you know, the Benoit tragedy and wrestlers dying young and you know how that gets you know manifested in the media and how you know, the, the public looks at that, I think um, you know, it kind of perpetuates what started around this time with the steroid trial beginning to take shape and and again every time that happens it kind of it, it sets sets the industry back a little bit and i think in an unfair way oh 100 um, agree because you know these you know i'm not saying that these guys are the cleanest of the clean you know athletes and entertainers but you can't tell me a guy like 50 cent isn't doing steroids or that other entertainers and athletes aren't finding ways to enhance their their image and their look and their Shit, performance. baseball
1: it used to be a who's who that was that was on the juice right yeah you
2: know? and, and to me you know I'm not, I'm not promoting the use of performance enhancing drugs by any stretch but to me you know these are grown men and women and they're adults and um, you know to me there's my my standard of, of you know morality is as long as it doesn't as long as it's not illegal, as yeah. long as there isn't an, an illegal aspect to what you're doing, if you're not violating a law as far as what you're putting, what you're possessing and putting in your body, and as long as it's healthy for you, you know, and monitored, then what the heck's wrong with it? You know I mean, what I mean? It, it, these are adults, and, and, and again, it happens everywhere, but again, it, it gets looked at differently in, in wrestling, and that's that's just well, I think because part of...
1: Because the wrestling business, and mainly Vince McMahon and WWF, WWE, tried to um, make it appear like this was a legitimate sport for a long period of time. And therefore, when you bring that, that... When you... When you bring that narrative to mainstream media, you're going to get that kind of you're going to get that kind of backlash. Oh, you want to be like a sport? Oh, you want us to appear that you're a sport. Your guys are, are, are hurting themselves. You know, they're they're it's you want it to look like an athletic competition. Well now you're gonna be, you know, critiqued and judged and uh, along the lines of, of other professional sports and other
2: athletes. Um, yeah, but I feel like other sports are, are, are at some point forgiven in their, uh, oh, no, in their down I, I, periods. Like baseball still kind of, you know, got the heart of everyone in America and, but I don't think, you know, I think people, once they, once the, the curtain was peeled back with wrestling and, you know, the darker sides of the industry that were more of a, a thing of the past were being revealed, people... We're good with it. They did away with it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They no, were like, I, agree. I agree with you. They that. didn't like. They didn't like being had anymore. You know what yeah. I mean? The carnival aspect was like. You know what? I'm sick of being. You know, had. If you will. But it, regardless
1: of, of any scandal, whether it was this steroid scandal in the 90s, the Benoit tragedy, um, even wrestling's popularity in the late 90s when they went more adult oriented content, the quote unquote attitude era, um, wrestling always had that stigma of being fake, that word that everyone hates to use, especially yep. people within the industry. So regardless of any of those, wrestling will never recover and never be seen as a legitimate, credible. Um, athletic display I guess you could uh, is, the, is the right phrase or terminology because of that word fake because people when they associate pro wrestling oh you watch that fake stuff you watch, it's still to this day it's never going to change and that's a, it's very unfortunate I don't agree with it but it's just, it's just the reality of the situation I think now it's a little bit more accepted as an aspect of entertainment in mainstream media but when it comes to professional sports um, they still look at it as oh that phony wrestling, that that carny, that 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 garbage. You know. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. I think I think that's the struggle. That's where you get the term sports entertainment from because I think Vince McMahon realized long before everyone else said that look the jig is up. Yeah. This is what we really are, and this is what we've really always been. Yeah. Um, and if you want to, you know, distribute that to a global audience, you have to highlight what it really is and what it's good for, and that's just entertaining. People and escape that escapism quality. You see it with Game of Thrones. You see it with you know all different TV shows. We you know reality uh, shows. Yeah. Well, not not even the reality shows. We know it's not. You know we know what we're seeing on A and E or HBO or FX is not. It's not real life, but we can escape it for a little while. And I think that's the direction that wrestling is trying its hardest to bring us to. But again, those the stigmas that just people can't shake. Yeah, that you're talking about here. And I think uh, that's going to be a constant battle. Um, and oh yeah, that's I, never going to change. Yeah. And I think I think what's the, the, it, at its best when you're uh, when you're forgetting what you're watching isn't a a real sport or, you know, a real conflict, if you will, much like any other TV show is the characters that are involved yeah um, and finding something that resonates with each and every one of them in, in different aspects of of life. So mm-hmm. that's that's when it's at its best, and that's when you could best forget. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's just you know, I think for most fans, it's um even, you know, and I would say even most smart fans, which are obviously the hardest to, to make them forget, it's it gets difficult when it's you're constantly reminded what you're watching isn't legitimate. yep, you know what I mean? That's uh-huh. where you know, continuity or the lack thereof, is on display, or just, you know, too much insider references, which were thought to be cool at one point, or now just like, alright, right, you're now you're just blatantly telling us it's a rip-off, you know? Yeah. That's where I think it gets most of us, is when, you, you know, at least attempt to make us forget and make us suspend our disbelief.
1: I had a discussion with, uh, a brief discussion with an individual on social media recently regarding... Um... regarding that like the the suspending of disbelief um i put a post up um regarding you know wanting wanting wrestling to get back to the point where like fans or at least like striving to get to that point where fans can um you know not worry about what they read on the internet and why this guy is in this position that he's in and we didn't care about people's pushes and backstage politics and you know who's who and, and and all that internet dirt sheet stuff that has basically been a big part of the pro wrestling culture since the mid to late 90s um and one individual um he was he he kind of came he kind of came off at least to me as like very like you know he's a very smart mark indie um you know He's he's the guy that sits in the front row at the magic show and tries to call bullshit up, but when it comes to the rabbit out of the hat, you know what yeah. I mean. And I had asked him. I, and, and everyone views wrestling differently, okay? Everyone does. Let's you know, let's just call a spade a spade right there. But I had asked him. I said, "Do you watch a movie or a TV show and you try to figure out why in the story they did what they did here? Like, what was the reasoning behind it?" Um, is that how you view other television shows you or do you view it you know do you view wrestling like this because of the 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 culture that you know that 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 has been created with the the internet and he said he goes oh well i'm fascinated by the behind the scenes stuff as well it goes on in front of the camera and like i said that's the part where everyone thinks of wrestling differently but i can't and Correct me if I'm wrong. If there's people out there listening. You could correct me if I'm wrong too. Slide in my DMs on Facebook or whatever. But um, do you go on like internet? you go on the internet and try to find a story as to why um, how you know the movie producers and the directors. Um, and the conversations that they had with Tom Cruise regarding his upcoming role in the new Top Gun movie. You know what I mean? Do you, do you try and find news and rumors about the behind-the-scenes stuff um, as to how we got to a certain point in a movie or a TV show? You know what I mean? Right. Or the contract to go. Like, I don't know many people that do that.
2: You know? No, I don't. I, I think. But
1: when it comes to wrestling and it's
0: just been part of our culture for such a long period of time, everyone does that. I'm yeah. guilty of it too.
2: I think it's actually starting to happen more elsewhere. Um, you know, you look at the last season of Game of Thrones, the whole world fantasy booked it oh, because they hated it so much. and I, and, and, and I will I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you and I'm, I know there's a small market of trollers that I could somewhat relate to. Okay I I've, right? never, I've never watched a single episode Neither of Game right. of Thrones. Neither um, and there's a list, you know during Game of Thrones seasons, people would, would troll others based yeah. off of that. Yeah. With that being said, you know, there was a lot of upset people based on the way that whole last season was written. Uh, because it was open to interpretation, but, um, that you see a lot more of now because of the internet. But again, I think it's definitely been around wrestling for years. Um, for me as a fan, there is interesting elements to, to hear of reports and rumors and speculation as to why or how something was pulled off or not pulled off or, you know, executed. Yeah. But to me, I I look, I look at that more as just like mental masturbation more than I do as like. Um, tried and true, like this is why it happened or this is how it happened. Yeah, yeah. Like to me, I'll never know why they booked a certain character a certain way, other than hearing it from the horse's mouth, horse's mouth himself. Yep. And odds are, I'm not gonna hear the real reason why it happened. So you know what? Here's how I know how what, know why it happened by watching the damn show. Yeah, exactly. So let's just so that that's gonna be my most definitive explanation for how or why something happened, rather than you know again hearing it from the horse's mouth which I'm, you're not going to you know probably ever so yeah. just just give up while, give up wasting your time while you can you know yeah, exactly so that that's my that's my thought process on that um yeah, the
1: individual was like, you know, maybe if WWE put logic into their stories and, you know, this, that, and the other, and they built characters better and used the right guy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it was like...
2: Says that person with all their wealth of knowledge of writing a television show. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and And creating characters and, 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 and all of that. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was just like, I was like, yeah, do you watch, you know, movies and TV so that, you know, you can find out how they develop this scene? And, and don't get me wrong, like, the, the, I, I'm fascinated with the stories, whether they're true or not, like when it comes to the, the, the stuff on the dirt sheets, there's stuff that I'm just like, that's fucking ridiculous, like, I'm not buying that, you know, it's no different than, um, the, the dirt sheets are no different than um, television and sports critics. Okay, out there, guys that who here have never flare and perfect, yeah, who have never um, laced up a uh, you know uh, laced up a pair of boots that, that, that critique the, the structure of the show, um, no different than you know uh, sports writers. Um, so I feel like
2: I just lost my train of thought here now.
1: <laughs> as we get a two count, um, as far
2: as people not like having the experience. You know I think you you were getting at people that don't have experience trying to try to tell those who do who are in the know how to how to yeah book and and write t v and All that other stuff. But at
1: the same time, all right. So like in our culture with sports, you know, you got a guy like a Stephen A. Smith or um, who's the asshole that he's always arguing with? on Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless, okay? Those two guys have never played a professional sport to the best of my knowledge, okay? Yet they talk about it and they make a living critiquing the athletes that they see on TV every single day for whatever sport it's in, okay? The Meltzers and the Wade Kellers of the world – they're in that same class. They've uh-uh. never done that per se. And yet, why is it more accepting for professional athletes to al- this is and this is just a question I have. Why is it more accepting for professional athletes in the world of, you know, basketball, football, baseball, whatever, to be Less hard on those reporters for their critique, for their reporting, so to speak. But when a Dave Meltzer and a Wade Keller do
0: something very similar, the wrestling world goes after them.
2: Um, I think because there's more established credibility with a Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith who Skip Bayless, you know, worked for the, the Dallas Morning News and, you know, had locker room access to, you know, the Dallas Cowboys to... Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Barry Switzer, Jimmy Johnson, etc. You know, had access to you know key players at Southern Methodist during their death penalty scandal. But I'm talking about the Just, nuts but, and bolts but, of but like the, the, the actual but, game itself. Well, the sport that's, itself. Opinion, that's opinion. That's opinion-driven. Um, that's opinion news. And to me, in the sport, in the in, in the world of sports, to me, that's fine because that's not life or death. Opinion news when it comes to things that are important, I think is a, is is a fucking joke. Yeah. Oh, you know, for sure. You know, like things like politics and that, oh, yeah, I but, it, yeah. but in terms of like sports and entertainment have opinions on it and that's fine because that I think keeps the conversation of things in, in fluid and keeps things relevant. Yeah. Um, so to me that doesn't matter. But the reason why a Meltzer or a Wade Keller gets grief is because, you know, their definitive reporting of literally conversations in a room that happened between a handful of people, almost to the word is what they bring out, you know, versus what Stephen A. Smith might say about, well, I spoke to LeBron James, and this is what he said he's going to, yeah. you know, okay. this is what he said he wants or wants to, where he's going to sign now, next year. I'm not year. saying
1: Meltzer and Keller are right by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just trying to understand. I, I feel like there's some similarities and and. and you know, wrestlers get more offended with the criticism than professional athletes do. And I feel like when it comes from the reporting aspect, whether it's legitimate or not, it's it's one in the same.
2: Um, there, there are elements of, of truth to that and similarities for sure. And I think um, I think that's a matter of the, the fact, the accuracy of it. I would mm-hmm. say the difference between a, a Stephen A. Smith and a, and a David Meltzer. Are probably in terms of accuracy isn't probably that much. I would you know I would say that Stephen A. Smith is probably more right than he is wrong, but I would also probably say that Dave Meltzer is probably more wrong than he is right. Oh, for sure. But the difference is probably not that much. Yeah, you know what I mean. In and terms it, of
0: the act itself,
2: right? Yeah, and I think, but I, even the difference in accuracy, like I, Stephen A. Smith is more wrong than right. I sense, or maybe I'm wrong, but but he's not that much more wrong right yeah. than he is wrong and and I would say conversely on the flip side Dave Meltzer's more wrong than right but I'm probably sure based on his longevity that it's not by that much mm-hmm. you know there are things that he is right about um Steven you me Dave Meltzer's first he was first at it in wrestling too yeah. so he was able to he had to be able he had to have established credibility in some respect yeah by getting a few things a little bit right and pissing off some people in wrestling i think that's probably what got him more attention than anyone is that he pissed people off yeah and when you piss off the wrestlers and that comes out you know people want to see where that loud noise is coming from so they give you 12 bucks a month <laughs> yeah that's for sure
1: kick out here by savage uh, we've been kind of talking over this match just hasn't been a bad match i will say um you can argue uh, this is this is the this is the one match in the handful of Ultimate Warrior matches that are his best. Um, dare I say, is is his best matches that he's had have been against Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, um, Rick Rude. You can argue there's probably about three or four guys on that one hand uh, count that you can mm-hmm. say have had you know the the Warrior's best matches. Oh,
2: ref bump by savage into warrior here classic savage high knee pile driver
1: something you don't see in wwe that's for sure oh that was a nice pile driver
2: yeah
1: nice pile driver by randy savage going for the cover flaring perfect here at ringside observing oh Yeah, this is the, the part in the commentary where I think Heenan's like, he's with the Warrior. He's with the Warrior, McMahon.
0: And then, helping the Warrior
1: up. Vince is like, Bobby, you knew all along, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just kind of like going back and forth. You know? That's a very oh,
2: underrated my, duo. <laughs> the with his tights on, despite not having a match. Yeah, and the taped brass knucks.
1: Mr. Perfect with a tuxedo. And that Mr. Perfect uh, sports coat. I believe his son, Joe Henning, aka Curtis Axel of WWE fame, wore that at uh, at his Hall of Fame induction.
2: Yeah, I think that is true. I would like to. Uh, that would be a nice little piece of merchandise if they could mass produce that. Some sort of, you know, I bet like what's what's the um, what's the new merchandise? Chalk line. Yeah, I bet they have a jacket like that. But I'd like to see it like studded, even if they sold it as a T-shirt. That'd be kind of cool. Like, with like, like you know with maybe the like studs? yeah, with like a. You know, with like a picture of Mister Perfect on the front or something,
1: that would be kind of neat. Yeah, I mean, a few years ago when bedazzling was a thing, uh, maybe that would have been the the, the right time to to uh, execute that uh, that piece of merchandise. But um, yeah, you never know. They you know the, the they do flare chalk line jackets like like his robe, you know, with the Nature Boy in the back, and they don't have like the sequins like they're real or anything. But right. Know, Oh, Savage got a handful of trunks. And what else? Yeah.
2: The ultimate grapefruit. Taking
1: too much of that Icropora, huh? (laughs) Couldn't grab onto anything there, Jim. Warrior. Yeah, Warrior. Yeah, I forgot his name. He He legally changed it. I don't think at this point in time he changed it legally to Warrior. I want to say it was a few years later he had legally changed it to Warrior. I told you when I worked at Nitro when I was a kid. Yeah, that he would that you know I was working in catering and uh, he he introduced himself as Warrior, um, shook his hand as Warrior, and then (laughs) I'm I'm refilling the buffet line and Hall and Nash both spot each other and Nash is like, "Hey Scott, did you see the Warrior?" Ooh, they're like all mocking it and shit. Yeah, that was pretty funny.
2: Yeah, I mean you know. At that point, he was coming in for, you know, for some big money, you know. But hey, I would imagine that was, that probably helped Holland Nash in their little Favored Nations thing. Unless, unless it was more of like a, like, you know, on a per shot basis.
1: Bischoff claims that they're fit, fa- that, that, the, he said it on his podcast before that that favored, that favored Nations deal is kind of blown out of proportion. Um, it's weird. Like, he admits he he says that they didn't have it, but then there's times where he says that they did. Like, it's strange. Like, in certain situations, like like with Bret Hart, for instance, you know, when Bret Hart came in and got that huge deal. Yeah. Like, you know, he claims that Hall and Nash didn't have favored nations
2: then. However... It probably applied to to specific, like, to specific conditions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, like, you know, if they probably applied it to people who worked the set amount of dates, like they probably had what, like hundred and twenty dates, Hall and Ash, between, you know, each of them. Yeah. Even have hundred and twenty dates. They probably it was probably like, okay, here if we sign a wrestler to like a, a similar contract, hundred and twenty dates for, you know, other specifics that are similar. It's that's probably what it was. If it's a like contract. Like and they're getting paid more than Hall and Nash, and Hall and Nash will get that that same pay. But I, I think Brett's contract was probably a little more so special. Big, there, was,
1: there, was, there was no way that they were going to be able to match.
2: Right. Yeah. Nash. I'm sure there. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure there was conditions as to as to uh, how much of a you know whose contracts were compared to theirs. Yeah. That's probably what it was. So there probably is some difference to it. But yeah, it would seem on paper to seem odd for him to kind of speak inconsistently about it but you know the way he kind of goes off on tangents on his podcast he could probably explain it to you in the most boring two or three minutes
1: but I like his explanations, though. You know why? Because he covers all his bases, you know?
2: Yeah, no, he, yeah, he's very thorough. <laughs> he's very smart. Like, there's, you know, there's definitely... Um, People
1: make fun of it, and it's like, oh, well, you know, here we go. We're in the weeds again, you know? He's, and But, like, he, he and he's kind of like me. Like, I try to cover every track, every detail, so that there's nothing left out, so that there's an explanation for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no,
2: you know what? And, I, and, and as someone like myself who's kind of a, a student of media and, you know, I'd like to think pro wrestling in some respects, you know, I, I appreciate... It. All of that, for yeah. sure. Um, but I often catch myself as I hear him going like, damn, there's probably a lot of people that are like, get to the point, let's go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Let's, let's 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 wrap this up.
1: I felt that way about Austin on his podcast when Austin would ask a guy a question, but he would like get in the
2: weeds with asking that question. Yeah, he'd like butt in on the answer to the question he already asked yeah. or stuff like that. You know, like that's how I felt with Austin's podcast. Yeah, yeah he'd yeah. ask a question and the guy would say, but when I say this, what I meant was, so yeah. like if you could just... Yeah, Steve, but you know, but but again, like stuff like that.
1: All right, son, you're booking the territory, so let me tell you, you're over
2: here in South Florida, Jacksonville. You know what I mean? Like he would just go yeah, off. Yeah, and on then like, he'd start answering. He's like, "But I meant like Jacksonville, Florida, in April." <laughs> yeah. And you know, you're, you're 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 working on top. I didn't
1: say War Memorial, Kyle. Same with Dusty on top with the strap. No, yeah, I yeah. Say that. I you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, you you know you're not gonna be there very long. <laughs> like he yeah he gets overly wordy. Um, plus, you know, Steve Austin is like a like a classic country singer. You listen a lot to his podcast, and you know he opens up not with a commercial every two seconds like Conrad does. He opens up with you know, oh, oh fuck, you know I, I woke up, I woke up and I was trying to make a peanut butter sandwich and I couldn't find the damn peanut butter, and like that's like his opening monologue and like I said it could be like a country song here's
1: one of his earlier podcasts he did with Kevin Nash where they had a conversation about toilet paper that was fucking fascinating and two of them were just hilarious so Nash is like Nash Nash
0: like there's three of us in the house and we go through a fucking case of toilet paper every two weeks what the fuck's my wife doing all the toilet paper like it was just so funny too but um you know this
1: match has gotten out of control as our conversation has here um I see Flair and Perfect really uh, you know, uh, letting, the, letting the world know where, their, where their, their allegiances lie. And that's not with either Warrior or Randy Savage. Um, they were just here to uh, break up the party. Oh, Jesus, he tossed that chair. That was a long run. That was yeah. a fucking sprint right there. And that, you know what? And as a kid, this is what also fascinated me about this show. The long entryway. The long Yeah. Audience, you know what I mean? I used to think that was so fucking cool. When I would play with my ring and my action figures, I would basically take up a good space of the bedroom and create a long entryway like SummerSlam 92. Yeah, I just yeah. thought it was so cool. Like, just a look.
2: Yeah, I would agree because, you know, the infrequency of such large shows up until recently where there was always, like, that curiosity of how it's all going to look, you know? Yeah. You know, and this is before they would do, like, set reveals that they do now every year. Like, they... they, There was an appeal to, you know, before we started going to WrestleMania, there was an appeal to, like, what's it going to look like? How's the... What's the layout going to be? Especially in the Attitude Era when it was different pay-per-views with different sets you know swinging you know axes and pendulums and electric giant electric chairs and you know that stuff was cool to like be curious about and to see and be like wow that's really neat um you know and then going to Wrestlemania's that was kind of like I remember you know a couple that you weren't at where I was like don't send me any pictures if you see them online I want to again there's a little bit of it's almost like um I don't know like uh when you you go to like a party or you go to like, you know, uh, you're going, again, you're going to an event and you, and you want to, you want to kind of want to be blown away Yeah. by all of it, you know? And you go to a concert and you see the stage set, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, like a when, big concert. Yeah or, yeah. or like, you know, when you go on vacation and you, you know, you check into your digs and you're like, you kind of do the the real world walk around like, oh shit, this is so cool. And yeah. you run around every room and jump on the bed. And like, that's kind of the, the reveal of it all. But yeah. now again, you see the videos that they post online. And they have, like, an official set reveal, you know, with certain wrestlers or The Statue of Liberty. Yeah. that Brooklyn
0: Bridge. (laughs) I want to say
2: that was the first one they did. WrestleMania 29 was the the set reveal. Um,
1: I like the one that Hunter and Stephanie did in New Orleans the next year in 2014 for WrestleMania 30. Yeah. The first one on the network.
2: Yeah. Yeah, And and
1: how they were, like, in the dark. And then all of a sudden when the lights popped on, the song came. Like, that was pretty cool. Yeah.
2: I like the one they did at WrestleMania 17. Or in a 1720... In 2017, at 33, with the. Because that was such an extensive oh, yeah, with New set Day, and the yeah, New Day. That and was cool. That was really neat. And and again, you you saw that coming because of. Um, Pictures online, you see them. Yeah, the, 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 the bird's eye shots. The and process of the, the yeah, building of Yeah, two structure. weeks ahead, and yeah. you kind of could speculate, and then you're like. I get, that was a little bit of a surprise based on how long that ramp was. That's like the longest ramp ever.
1: And this is a, this is a long walk, and Savage, you know, like like a true pro, gonna sell that leg the, the whole, whole way. fucking walk.
2: Yeah. And yeah. In, in today's game, they would have brought a golf cart out
1: for him. A golf cart, or they would have cut to a fucking video package. And then to, just have him walk it off. And then walk it off, yeah, or, or cut through the, the. Sometimes they have, um, especially in the big stadium shows, on the sides. Um, there's like a yeah, they walk like a,
2: along the side of the ramp. That's yeah. how they that's how about 95% of the wrestlers um leave after a match at WrestleMania. Yeah. They they oh, they walk along the side and there's like a door that's um along the side of the stage at the bottom and that's how they get back to uh where Mr. They're Perkman to what go. the
0: hell's the matter with you? What the fuck are you <laughs> doing? <laughs> <Gene Oakley. laughs>
2: For Christ's sakes,
0: Ric Flair, you're wearing your gear and you're not even scheduled for a match. What the hell are you doing here?
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, Mean Gene. <laughs> I love Mean Gene.
1: Yeah. You gotta watch. The, there's. Uh, you you have a Twitter, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have one Rose just for. the DoA. Yeah, yeah. I have it for uh, minimal use and purpose. There's yeah. a page,
1: okay. That I, there's a, an account I follow. The the, the and I'm I'm not. You know, very um, uh, versed with Twitter, but I've been, you know, for the last year with this, with kicking out of twos account, I've been trying to get the hang of it. There's a, there's a, an account. Oh, shit, I'm gonna go look it up now. Um, an individual by the name of Richard Land, um, and he fucking posts like the most obscure WW. Oh, it's called App Masked Wrestlers. Okay, he's got some of the most Um, rare videos that you could find from the WWF Um, and some of them are like Mean Gene bloopers, like stuff I've never seen before that's a good follow on Twitter at Masked Wrestlers
2: Masked as in like uh, Ray Mysterio Yeah,
1: M-A-S-K-E-D Wrestlers, um, all lowercase you find that on Twitter It goes by the name Richard Land L-A-N-D um, yeah, there's some great Mean Gene bloopers on there, and some stuff I'd never even seen before. Yeah, um, <clears throat> old Coliseum video stuff, outtakes of shit. Um, yeah, there was one that I just saw recently. It was of uh, Jr. Bobby Heenan and Savage. They did a international show in the UK in '93 after WrestleMania, and they um, there was a match going on, but it wasn't going to be. Um, part of the, 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 the video that they were putting out, and they're complaining of, like, the, the camera shots. Like, it, it, it's like, a, like an off-air kind of... They're yeah. still mic'd up, but, like, um, you know, it's like an off-air kind of conversation. Uh, here we have the Ugandan giant, Kamala, um, accompanied by Kim Chi, who would be portrayed by the Brooklyn brawler, Steve Lombardi. Uh, you know, I already shook your hand the other day.
2: Uh. Uh, and then uh, <clears throat> Harvey Whippleman's in the. Downtown Bruno. There. Yeah, but um. Does he still work for them. I don't think so. Ah, uh, no, I think he does. He's gotta still be an errand boy for them. It well, I mean, like Lombardi doesn't the... work there anymore, so yeah, Lombardi. Yeah, they let go Lombardi a while ago. Um, I think ago. he does their travel, like at least on the road. Like when he goes to TV, he kind of like, but again, I don't even know. You know I, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me if he does. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if he didn't. Um, but yeah, Kamala, man. I mean, I, I you know, the, through the WWE network, and I've been able to kind of watch, you know, over the years, a little bit of world class and a little bit of other things that he was a part of that were, you know, he, he was badass. Yeah. He was badass, especially even he back in the World cartoon Class. wasn't the cartoon
1: that he's been portrayed here in WWF yeah. WWF. He, yeah. he, he was he was a fucking monster. Right. In exactly. World Class. Devastation Incorporated with Skandor Akbar. I think he was managed by Gary Hart at one point. Yep, yep. During World Class. I think he was managed by both guys in World Class. I could be mistaken. Now, to the best of my recollection, this is the first like spectacular like larger than life entrance at a major event like this. I feel like You know how WrestleMania's got those big entrances? Yeah, there's always a
2: handful of them, yeah. You
1: know, each year there's always something. Somebody's riding down in a different vehicle, whether it's a tank or a car or the fucking helicopter with Charlotte earlier this year. But this, I feel like, is the first of its kind in the WWF in 1992.
2: Yeah, I would say probably it is. Um I mean I think you had the just, ring carts, but that was Yeah, you know, I wouldn't consider that a grand entrance. Yeah. It would be now if they brought it back. Oh, they sure fucking, they need to bring those. Like families. if I was ever a wrestler, I would be like, Can I get a ring card entrance? I'd love a ring card entrance, yeah, yeah, man. Be even so if it was just cool. like for one guy. Yeah. It'd be neat. Um But uh yeah, this was you know, I think this also speaks to like the presentation of a big event, you know what I mean? Yep. I wouldn't you know, you don't you don't see these types of entrances at a you know at a stomping grounds or at extreme rules. Oh god no. Um it's not. A, it's not. It's just not necessary. Um, it. It's kind of exclusive to the the bigger yeah. events. Um, you know, they've had just about every single type of automobile. Uh, you know what? No, hold on. I mean, you would. I would consider the, uh, the pink Cadillac WrestleMania would probably be the first one.
0: Okay, I forgot about but, that. Yeah, but you know I'll what? This man. is.
2: But this is probably this is uh, probably a first for the Undertaker. Oh, for sure. Who's had more spectacular entrances? Entr- 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 than anyone not named Triple H, so yeah, <laughs> um, or John Cena. Which I'll say, Triple H's entrance at WrestleMania this year was, I thought, probably the worst one he's ever had. It had like no, and again, maybe it comes off different on TV, but it had no like didn't make it, no didn't sense tie to into it. The, yeah, like yeah. I thought it might be like a Thanos thing, or like that they were gonna go that route maybe because of you know Batista's connection with you know Guardians. But, I
1: thought that he was going to come out with DX when they did the Hall of Fame spot, like, on a tank. And then, like, he gets off the tank, high-fives them all, then goes down to the ring, and it's him yeah, and Batista. Yeah. Like, just to
2: save time. Yeah, and, yeah. you know. And then Batista's had been done before, you know, as far as, you know. The Escalade, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the you know, movie star type entrance, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really see... um anything good with triple h's i will say probably, i feel like he
1: did that because he thought it would look cool with him like it wasn't like he didn't know what it was he didn't like that's how it appeared to me it was i don't like, know it oh, seemed like
2: it was like what the dead like the that that like car riding through the desert type yeah. deal right i think it was i think it was supposed to like sim- like signify or like symbolize like his road to batista or you know like kind of the road to wrestlemania yeah in a very non way i'm not saying it not even trying to give a, a defense of it, but because to me it didn't make sense. Like the other ones made sense, you know, the, you know, the Conan, the barbarian type of throne one, the throne one at WrestleMania 30, which I thought was, might've been his best one. That's my
1: favorite um, one. The whole production. Of yeah, it, exactly. The camera shot at the end with the finish when he, takes the mask yeah, off. Yeah, it was like,
2: almost like Gladiators oh, with the crowd, uh, you know, reaction the, there. The that music was probably... hit the
1: crescendo at the end and the camera just, yeah. like, eyes on him. I was like, oh, yeah, fuck, it had a, that's it had a, awesome. Yeah, it had
2: a very, like, Roman Coliseum it type the of... the tone for, like, the yeah. match. And then the, and the one Bryan. at WrestleMania with Stephanie McMahon... Uh, WrestleMania 32. Oh, I, yeah, I your, I've marveled at yeah. yeah, just her performance in the, that alone. The dialogue, yeah, yeah, I thought was like being able to have to remember that. Yeah, yeah, let's... that you know, and even the little video package they did with like the, the 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 kind of the um the underling soldiers in the you know that ended up escorting Triple H to the ring with yeah. the masks, and they were all nameless and faceless, and that kind of like symbolized like you know the authoritarian gimmick. And how they all looked, how the authority looked at all of us. You know what I mean? Yeah, we were all just you know expendable. Yep. So all that I I I like entrances like that when they they are part of telling a story. Yeah. Um. You know, as far as entrances go, you know, you look at, you know, Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker at WrestleMania. You know, talk about the light versus the dark. Um. You know.
1: Michaels descending from the heavens. Yeah. Undertaker Undertaker coming coming up from from the depths of hell. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They, when they tell a story that, that fits into where they've been, what they've been getting at over the build. It makes and, for a good entrance. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it just ties in. Yeah. And like I said, that Triple H one from recent didn't tie in. I mean, this one I thought was good from the simplicity of, that was a car. That was a European car. The guy was driving on the on the, the opposite side yeah. of, you know, like just I even that even, little I, detail I makes think
0: even Bobby Heenan says like he's driving on the wrong side of the road, McMahon. Yeah, like that yeah,
2: like that th- that little detail, like that that matters. You know what I mean?
1: Here's another little detail. Undertaker was feuding with Berserker before this event.
2: And they and, just went with this match. And they
1: went with this match. Yeah. Another an- another instance where that match was either blown off at a house show or they never, you know, they, they, they never got around to it and then they just decided to go with this.
2: Yeah, but you know what? I still think Kamala at this point was still a quality opponent for The Undertaker. Oh, no doubt. In I'm terms of what you're... he could do in the Jesus. ring with him and, yeah. and that type of thing. Isn't
1: that supposed to be a pin? Yeah, right? Wasn't Danny Davis supposed to get down and make the cover? Danny Davis, who is suspended for life plus 10 years? Yeah. 1987, according to Grilla Monsoon.
2: Dangerous Danny Davis. But, um, yeah, uh, like that, yeah, that's odd, you know, as much as other things are on this show in terms of, you know, how we got to where we are here. Um, but like I said, I think he was a, you know, for what this match is as quickly as it is happening, it's just, you know, it's an attraction. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's it's textbook undertaker. Yeah. Um, it's kind of what we're seeing now from the undertaker in 2019, He's kind of reverted back to this uh, style of wrestling. Yeah. Um, probably just for, you know, his because of his age and much. His health, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's how the guy's able to wrestle into his 50s, for sure. It's just by just less is more, throw out the greatest hits, you know... I thought
1: that outing with him in Rome against Shane and Drew was
2: really good. Yeah, I, I would it. agree with that. That was a very good definitely outing. He definitely
1: redeemed himself from the fucking Goldberg
2: debacle. Yeah, I would agree with that for but sure. But I
1: won't, I mean, the, the lion's share of the blame for that can go to Goldberg, I, I, I will say. However, there were some moments where Taker 2 had no business doing some of the things he did in that match, like trying to tombstone him. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? There were things that, like,. I think the first six minutes of that match was solid and acceptable, and if it ended like that, i have been like, okay. But those lat once Goldberg hit the pole, mm. everything went everything went straight to hell after that. Yeah, you know, um, because like I said, it reminded me a lot of Brock and Goldberg from that WrestleMania a couple of years back, where it was like five minutes of nonstop greatest hits hit you know hit you know boom 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 all your finishers and all your like it was like
2: a it was like a demolition derby like a monster truck rally like they went out there they revved the engine they jumped over a couple cars yeah and they you know did some donuts in the dirt and they went home yeah and it that match for an attraction match between wrestlers with very limited skill sets or very small skill sets i'll say yeah was probably as good as you were going to get like what that was the best expectation in that match yeah. For what you would expect. So Brock, of, Brock Goldberg or Goldberg Undertaker? Brock Goldberg. Okay. Like, that's what you would expect. And yeah. I think that's kind of what I expected to see from Goldberg Undertaker. And obviously, that's not what happened. They, yeah. went, So, they probably went a little too long and, and you know, the weaknesses started to uh, to appear. Yep. Um, and I think even here, you could argue that this was a, for what it was. Because that's another way of putting it. For what it was, this was a pretty solid match too.
1: It was. I mean, it was a story, you know, that... that, that... In the beginning Kamala wasn't afraid of the Undertaker Kamala you know the, the, the from what I remember the hype going into this match was is that you know Kabalo was a force and he was going to he was going to take down the Undertaker right um, and when he realized that he couldn't take down the Undertaker as easily as he could he was spooked out by it and it freaked him out and that's what we saw here at the end as um, so we see Sean Mooney interviewing the british bulldog davy boy smith as we get into the main event here the match that is probably you know most synonymous with this event um another match that was in my opinion based on my research and you know recapping the superstars episodes on marking out the day's weekend warriors with kobe this was another match that was thrown together Bulldog had some issues with Repo Man. Repo Man choked him and hung him over the top rope, as as Bulldog would say, with 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 your toe rope, Repo Man. Um, and Brett had his issues with Sean. But then they put this match together, and they turn, it was like instant family feud. Um, they had interviewed Diana on episodes of Superstars. At one point, Stu and Helen uh, breaking up the family. and um, It... it, it it was it was it was done pretty quickly, but in 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 that sense, it was also it was also very well done too. It wasn't uh, it wasn't so much uh, it didn't need much more. You know what yeah, I mean? If exactly. It, if yeah. if it
2: was like a whole thing, it would be drawn out, and it would you know you would be like, all right, you know, enough get already. To a fucking match already. Yeah. yeah, like I almost don't want to see the match anymore. Yeah. You'd be like, there there's not a lot of laundry you need to air out when it comes to this. Yeah, it's pretty basic. Oh yeah. But you know, I, I think this like you know this is definitely. I would argue, probably since Steamboat Savage, you know, at WrestleMania, this is probably like the the next great like holy grail of matches. You know that even people look back on now, t- over twenty five years later, and say, this is one of the the true gems in WWE history. Oh, for sure, like, absolutely. You know there are certainly great matches in between those two matches. You know, Bretton perfect in '91, and you know you look at other you know matches, but you know the WWF still wasn't really known for having the best matches. You no, know, you, yeah. on on a night-to-night basis. It was more
0: character story-based. Yeah. Than it was in ring so,
2: I, but but I would say this match, and you know, is probably next after Steamboat and Savage, at least at this point in terms of like classic. standing. Yeah, classic standing the test of time, yep. and still to this to this day, I would say. You know, the only reason this match doesn't get as much acclaim is because it didn't happen at a WrestleMania. Like, if this happened at a SummerSlam, which is clearly not on a, as big a stage as a WrestleMania, but it's certainly, um, it's certainly I think, you know, on par with the best matches in history.
1: But I would be one to argue, and maybe this is just me personally, but when I think of SummerSlam, this is the first match that pops up in my head. You know what I mean? But... Yes,
2: this is, this is probably the best match in SummerSlam history. Yeah,
1: um... From, from an emotional standpoint, dramatics, in-ring, um, th- this is definitely at, at the top number one in terms of uh, SummerSlam classics. And I would dare to say that Brett's, probably, Brett's matches at SummerSlam are probably in the top, at least a couple of them, are in the top five. Um, definitely the match with Perfect the, f- the year prior in 91 uh, is certainly um, in, the, uh, in, in the top five in terms of SummerSlam classics. Um, which, you know, I kind of dissected it a little bit on last week's Trading Places covering SummerSlam 91. Had Mr. Perfect gotten hurt, not gotten hurt, I personally feel like it would have been realistic to see Brett and Perfect continue their rivalry and Brett not win the title at SummerSlam just yet. Maybe they saved that victory for Survivor Series, or maybe they would save that for... Um, the this Tuesday in Texas pay per view. I feel like if Perfect wasn't injured, they would have had Brett chase the title longer.
2: Uh, yeah, probably in '91. Yeah, probably. You know? But I would say at this point, though, he would have probably already been champion, anyways. What in '92? Yeah.
0: Oh, for sure. I don't like, think it would have you, like taken you could a have know. I, no, I, like for yeah.
2: instance, like a logical transition I could see is maybe Brett winning the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania from Perfect. Let's just say, and then his match with Piper happening here. Okay. At, you know, where Piper is a big name and yep. a big star that can headline a card. Yeah. You know, and then Bulldog can, can still do something meaningful with someone else. I could definitely see that happening. And then you can do Brent and Bulldog at a later date.
1: Now this, this, this spot here often gets forgotten about. Okay. When it comes to this show, um, Piper, you know, with the, the playing the bagpipes, um, right before the main event here um i wonder if there was i wonder if this was two things either this is a one-off for him because earlier in the year he lost to brett at wrestlemania um and then he just kind of disappeared and did his own thing like he normally does piper never really stayed anywhere very long um but then um i also wonder if this appearance here was to have led to something later on in 1992 with him in the WWF because I feel like as, as as cool of a moment as this is it doesn't get talked about a lot when it comes to this show I feel like in some respects this is a waste of Roddy Piper in the WWF that I feel like this was to lead to something more like I, maybe I, maybe they said hey Pipe come out Play the bagpipes, and then we're gonna start something up with you in a month or so with let's say Razor Ramon. You know what I mean? Maybe, yeah.
2: Um, but, and then he was just like, no,
1: I'm not gonna. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. I
2: would yeah, I would I would suggest that. <laughs> Don't you
1: know <laughs> it was
2: probably do the job,
1: no, God no yeah. MRP, no. Yeah, God. maybe
2: maybe he didn't um, have uh, a clear maybe there wasn't a clear idea of what to do with them after this but if nothing like all right let's just get him here just to get him here and we'll add, figure add the rest out nostalgia later to the event yeah and
1: kind of, yeah let's
2: it. let's figure it okay. we'll figure out what to do with him later but let's get him here and make sure we can
1: and if nothing else we got to do this spot yeah exactly yeah.
2: i feel like that's a lot of how they book things too like you know you you, you goldberg in the hall of fame kurt angle in the hall of fame it's yeah Let's okay. start here. Let's start here. Let- Get him to this point and then yeah. we'll talk after. Yeah, Where yeah. there's where there's more of like a, you know, they know they have to re- build the relationship before they can, you know, so that everyone feels good about doing business, yeah. you know? I, and that, you know, I, I could see this being that situation too. And Piper is just such a polarizing character. He's just going to do things his way. So even if they wanted to have a conversation with him or even if they did, like you said, he was probably like, nope, I'm... I'm good with just collecting a yeah. paycheck and and coming over here and there's really no one I want to wrestle.
1: Yeah. You seen pictures of her recently, Diana? Uh
2: no. She's I, still a fox. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I could see that. She's still a fox, man. Miss Canada or Miss Alberta? Yeah, Miss Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, she yeah, I could I could definitely see that. Um Yeah. This is her introduction to WWF TV. She was being interviewed what, like they said during like you said, through, through the build of this match.
1: Yeah, they, they, they did like some pre tapes at the Hart House, uh, with um, Helen and Stu, and then there was one with her as well, uh, where they, you know, discussed their their anticipation of this match and the, the 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 anxiety that it's brought amongst the other members of the family. Right. You know, especially with her being kinda in the middle. Uh, you know, Davy's her husband. Brett's her brother, and um, yeah. So that, that that was that was the gist of the build up uh, between Brett and Davy Boy. Um, even at one point um, on commentary, they kind of indicated that you know, loosely, and it wasn't something that really stuck. But uh, going back and watching it recently, um, they were like, "Is Brett going to you know do?" Is is Brett going to be the good older brother and just give the belt to to, to Davy Boy in a way, like? And Brett was like, "I'm not giving up this belt. Like, I'm not gonna lie down for Davy Boy." It, it was kind of loosely thrown out there to kind of. You know, I almost feel like to see if it would stick. Yeah. And. They, they addressed it and then they just kind of walked away from it after that and then just kind of continued on the path of the dissension in the family but um I thought that was a rather interesting kind of um, storyline aspect of this yeah this build I, up.
2: I, I could you could argue that that was probably done to like give more of an edge to Brett in the sense that like I'm not just happy to be here I'm not just this isn't like for sport yeah. you know, I'm here to win you yeah. know like you know what I mean kind of that serious element of it you know this isn't just you know, I'm I'm coming into your enemy territory, or you know, to your territory, and you know, I am taking this seriously. This isn't this isn't just for fun. Right. Lennox Lewis. Let's uh, let's play the audio. See, so hear
1: this crowd.
0: Sister,
2: what does that mean? It's like, does he think he has butterflies in his stomach? And it's like, maybe more than that. What does that mean? We'll keep the audio on for Brett's entrance
1: because some old, Brett has argued that he's, he's been on par with popularity in this show from this audience with Davy Boy. In, you know, in hindsight, and I want you to be the judge as the, as the big Brett fan, All right. if, if you think that statement rings true. Because Brett has said, he goes, oh, I was just as popular as Davy." I don't think that's the case, but we'll see how this uh, pans out.
2: Ooh. It's right up there. It is. It's close. I would argue... I mean, I would argue he is as popular, just in general. I mean, there's a reason why they... He climbs the ladder, you know what I mean? You know, and, and historically speaking, you know, people like, you know, Pritchard and others have said, like, you know, like, we're seeing the types of reaction he's getting overseas. You know, as much as popular as Hulk Hogan was, like... Bret Hart has had much to do with the international expansion of WWE oh, as no anybody, doubt. even more so than Hulk Hogan to a degree. No doubt, in terms of 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 of, of drawing power and just the expansion of the popularity. Um, and I and I think because you know you know there is a little international flavor with Bret Hart. You know he is he's not this um you know prepackaged American icon like Hulk Hogan would be. You know he's more. He is more appealing across the world. His character, especially. But, you know I mean, you, you know, the, the Hulk Hogan was... He had a specific audience, and he drew, the, drew to that audience, for sure. Especially at that time, so... Um, no, no
1: doubt. All points, you know, totally agree with... Um, I, think it's, I, I think it's slightly... It, it, it's almost there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't... It's on par, but it's... Well, I also think, too, like, I mean, popularity-wise, Davey, Boy, like, Davey Boy's reaction, in my opinion, I would popularity edged him out just
2: a little bit, Well, I think given the circumstances. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think given the circumstances, you know, Davey Boy's the hometown guy. There's a title at stake. Um, those types of elements, I think, give Davey the, the edge in, you know, 51-49. Um, and uh, I thought that was a hard kid that was getting it. Um, no,
1: just some random.
2: Just you no, know, one of Brett's randoms. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you no, know, I mean, I think, um, but that's what I think made this such an interesting match. Um, in many ways, it was. It was kind of the same as like Warrior and Hogan. You know, just like somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose. Yeah. Um, you know, and I specifically recall Brett talking about this match on a DVD, and he said, you know, the best stories can be told when you take the two guys in the frame and you go you know, wow, well, there's no way Brett's going to lose. He's the champ, you know, and then you look at Davey and you go, well, there's no way Davey's going to lose. He's, he's the hometown guy. Yeah. And just the, the, uh, the liberties you can take with painting a beautiful picture, um, are limitless, uh, based on just what you're able to present to the audience just in that frame. And I think that's a very, that, that's, that's wrestling at its best. You oh, know, yeah. and at this point, there was nobody uh, that could hold a candle to Bret Hart in that in that category for sure. <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. I, I, I,
2: you know, and then hearing the legend of of Bret's ability to, to in many ways carry a a, a Davy Boy through this match, given his uh, circumstances, health wise, is to me may, is something that doesn't get talked about enough. Well, now, what was it? Davey was having back
1: issues? He had a
2: staph infection. Staff infection, but off he was also... Back he was issues. also... Uh, and he was, in many ways, uh, he hadn't, he hadn't uh, stayed in shape and worked out and kept himself ready for this match and was uh, allegedly had to be uh, dragged on and off the plane to and from England um, in terms of his health as he was uh, hitting the recreational jugs a little too hard with the anvil. Yeah, didn't um, yeah,
1: wasn't like I think it was in Brett's book where he said that like Nightheart kinda had to
2: babysit him a little yeah. bit,
1: even though Nightheart wasn't exactly the on the yeah. up and up himself. Yeah, like, he exactly. Was, the he standard was more bear, of, the
2: beacon of, of adulthood. He was he was more of the, the, the,
1: the straight laced of the two. Yeah. And apparently they had he done kinda, a lot of
2: partying and he
1: was kinda tasked by yeah. Brett and by Vince to like, you know, make sure he gets to SummerSlam. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
2: when you look at those elements too, and I guess, you know, his demeanor overall based on what Brett says was his, you know, extensive drug use at the time was that he just wasn't in a good place mentally for this match and that, yeah, Bret Hart had to, had to really take a lot of charge here.
1: Now, during this time period, both Owen and I think Anvil both employed, or I should say both 1099 uh, by the WWF um, Owen was part of the high-energy tag team of Coco Beware, and I believe Nightheart was just kind of working. Was rant- he the
2: who? No, or- that was
1: 96. Oh, right. um, I think Nightheart they originally had him teaming with Anvil, or I'm sorry, with Owen, and then for some reason he was gone, or I think he got hurt. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, during this time period, based on snippets of Brett's book, um he was tasked with trying to make sure, you know, Davy Boy got to all the towns and Davy Boy was in acceptable or somewhat decent shape to, to, to make it to SummerSlam. Um, with this whole family uh, feud rivalry kind of coming, coming to play here, um, it, w- it would have been fascinating for me as a fan to see, you know, Neidhart in a different role um, on the outside. Uh, Of these two and even Owen to some extent, you know, even though like Owen, even though Owen Hart wasn't recognized on TV as Brett's brother, um, you know, it would have been kind of interesting to see where they would have fit into this uh, family feud rivalry. And maybe the the early stages of the Brett Owen stuff would have would have transpired, excuse me, from this event.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it would have likely been more of an Anvil involvement just based on the history on television. <laughs> um, and that would have probably been like,
1: but maybe that's how they introduce Owen, yeah, into maybe, the family, yeah, you know, um, family dynamic for what Still it's called. Keep
2: wor- him with Coco Beware
1: as a team, but at least have some kind of, you know, some, some supporting role in this, yeah,
2: right, that eventually um, leads to something bigger, yeah, um. Hard to argue the way they went with it. Like I said, the simpler the better. Um, You know, I think the more family drama. I mean, the hearts were in, you know, were the darlings of pro wrestling at this time. So, you know, people were digging the hearts. So, you know, it's hard to argue that it would have been overkill. But at the same time, like I said before, like, you know, the thrown together nature of it and the simplicity of it with just the, the core family element was... I think enough.
1: Oh yeah. No, I sure. agree. I mean, you know me, my what ifs. Yeah, you know, yeah, no, yeah. Thi- absolutely. Things pop up and you know, I like to, I like to ponder and explore the possibilities. Um, as you know, we'll do next week when we continue with the SummerSlam theme. Fifteen years to the day, we're gonna be giving you guys a bonus edition of our Trading Places series as we cover SummerSlam two thousand and four. What if Randy Orton was unable to defeat Chris Benoit and become the youngest World Heavyweight Champion in history? What if The Undertaker ended JBL's short run as the WWE Champion? What if Eddie Guerrero did lie, cheat, and steal to defeat Kurt Angle yet again? We ponder those those uh, possibilities of that card. 15 years to the day with Trading Places, SummerSlam 2004, and then in two weeks, you're going to be joining me again. And we're going to sit down and watch our favorite steel cage match in history from SummerSlam 1994, approaching the 25-year anniversary of that event. Bret Hart, Owen Hart inside of a steel cage. That that's definitely gonna be a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, my opinion that was, um, you know, the the best steel cage match in WWF history for sure.
1: It's hard. It's 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 hard not to argue that. It really is. I, I it's my favorite. Um, And when it comes to cage matches, it's, it's, it's that match. It's, um, Tully and Magnum, the I quit match from Starcade, and it's Hogan and Orndorff with the, with, with the, the finish. Those are my three favorites. I wouldn't say like, you know, ranking in terms of, you know, first, second, third, but those are my three favorites, um, of all time here. Um, yeah, this this match here. You know, we we talked about it. Probably the greatest match in SummerSlam history. Brett recalls in his book how it was. He was pretty much tasked to carry Davy throughout the, the the course of this match, the entire length of this match. And we can see at certain points here um, in this match where uh, you'll see uh, as you watch this, Davy Boy is kind of. His timing's a little off. He's a little behind, um, but Brett's right there to kind of pick
2: him up. Yeah, he looks a little just you know even physically speaking, he looks a little soft around the edges. Yep. He's um, not as he looks, like yeah, jacked a up. A little more, a little more round. Yeah. Not in a not in a robust way, but in just uh you know again just a little soft. Bulkier. Yeah. Just you know. He's not as like defined. Yeah. Like,
1: you know, lean like he like he used to.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so. You know, like I said, that, that's that got to be... But again, even then, like, Davey Boy, his best matches were with Brett. I think they had a natural chemistry, too. Oh, for sure. Uh, plus, he was, for what it's worth, a very good worker. You know what I mean? Um, you know, having great matches with Shawn Michaels, Owen Hart, um, you know, the guy, if nothing else, if you wanna, you know, Boiler it down to, you know, the least amount of respect you could give him, you could argue that his... He was good with great wrestlers. Oh, for sure. Um, I would say it's a little bit that that's not generous enough, but um I would say that, you know, he's he was from for my money a great wrestler. You know what Davy
1: Boy had that a lot of guys of his similar build and look didn't have? When you look at him you're like, Oh, he's a power wrestler, he'll just throw some guys around. But Davy Boy was agile for his size, which you didn't see from guys like him. Like I looked at Davy Boy as like a, he was like a step up from Lex Luger. Yeah, um, Luger was very powerful, had a great look, but Luger was not very agile. Davy Boy here, as you can see, very agile. Um, for a guy his size, but Davy Boy could also technically wrestle. Yeah, you couldn't find that with a guy of his size and his caliber. Yeah, he could you know swap holds mean? with you for sure. Yeah, headlock, takedowns, rear chin locks, arm bars, you know, hammer locks, leg locks, shit like that, you know. But he, Davy Boy, had like a good all-around mixture of um styles with his his powerful style he could fly around when he wanted to in the right moments and then but technically wrestles well he can kind of keep up with you on the mat but like you but uh, on the other side of that he also had good matches with great guys davy boy couldn't do all that with someone you know steps below bret hart davy boy couldn't do that with a jim neidhart you know right yeah he had to do that with a brett an owen a sean you know, names like that.
2: Yeah, in many ways, he was almost a perfect compliment to any great wrestler. You know, imagine, if, imagine him wrestling a, a, a tip-top Ric Flair. Yeah. Those would have been fantastic matches. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, imagine him, you know, working with Steamboat. You know, just yep. the list goes on and on of just the, the, the greats.
1: Arn Anderson and Davy Boy Smith. Would have been a barn burner, oh, I think, yeah. yeah. I think Tully that, Blanchard. Yeah.
2: Davy Boy. You know? Yeah, I think... Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, um... I think in many ways he's the perfect complement to any great... any of the greats out Davey there. Davy Boy and Jericho. Ooh. Think of
1: that.
2: I think they... Yeah, that could have been good. Davy Boy 1992. Jericho. Any Jericho. Any, any, any version of Jericho, Any version yeah. of Jericho, any probably. Any version of Jericho, yeah. Uh, yeah. I could... I could definitely get behind that. Um... Again, he had just had the ability. Excuse me. He just had the ability, um, and again, like you said, he was a great technical wrestler too. He doesn't get enough credit for that. He he could go hold for hold with with a Bret Hart, with a you know. He's probably more technically sound at least in this at this time period than Shawn Michaels was. Yeah. Shawn Michaels was still was still putting it all together. No, you're, uh, you're absolutely right. On a, on a on a technical fundamental aspect, Davey Boy had great fundamentals. Yeah you know and and could could do more than most to be honest here's a spot right here this was
1: yeah this was one of those timing issues that i was talking about yeah i don't think it was de- i don't think that move was designed to uh to 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 play out that way
2: yeah with brett just kind of almost like slingblading yeah davy boy just not quite all there yeah um unfortunately. It's amazing. Just imagine what kind of match they could have had if, if Davy Boy was all there.
1: Oh, fuck. I know, right? You
2: might be talking about maybe one of the greatest matches ever, period. I Much think, less the I mean, SummerSlam. I, I You know? this...
1: this- what we're seeing here is one of the greatest matches ever, period. But I think this would...
2: Like, this would probably this would probably leapfrog a Steamboat Savage. I was just you know to that. Or, I was just to that, And yeah. be, like, the the gold standard yeah. of wrestling Before matches.
1: Before Sean and Taker from
2: uh, 25, yeah. 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 And, you know, you'd probably have a hard time leapfrogging that one. You know, yeah. that one leapfrogging this, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. And, but I don't look at that as, like, a disappointment either. No, oh, God. Again, no, no, it's almost... Here. It just speaks to how great these guys were. At this time, you yeah. know, that, you know, a drug strung out, you know, withdrawal laden, you know, out of shape Davy boy. And and again, you know, the, you know, Van Gogh of wrestling, just, you know, one of the, you know, great storytellers um, of wrestling and Brett were able to do together. Oh, yeah. And again, they had, sure. they, had, they, had wor- they had worked hundreds of times before that, you know, going back to Stampede. So, you know, they were they knew each other very well. For sure. So this wasn't, you know, this was just, you know, them at their best. Yeah. Most definitely. Well, not Davey Boy, but, you know, again, in terms of the height of their popularity. But uh, there's a lot of, like, in-your-face stiffness to this match that I like, too, along with the athleticism, along with the technical prowess that they both have
1: sequence there that you're referring to with like brett with like just the the
2: you could tell it's a fight a little yeah. bit along you know on top of it being like pulled for hold you know yeah. there it has a little bit of everything in that sense and it didn't you know a Jesus. perfect example oh
1: he fucking flip-flopped him yeah over, man holy cow
2: a little bit hard to um like this is a match that didn't like a perfect example of like a match that doesn't need like blood or Uh, a high spot. You don't see a high spot in this match, if you think about it. Um, You know, and then, you know, when it comes, you know, the finish itself, I think, is fantastic. Um, It it didn't need any of that, because it was just such a top-to-bottom good match. It didn't have ebbs and flows um, so much, as maybe even right now, for that matter, but um, this would be, like, one of probably the very few down periods.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a, a, a rest period, so to speak. Um, Davey Boy's been talked about, um, at least in the wrestling community, as someone who, you know, is long overdue for a Hall of Fame induction. Obviously, I, 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 I don't think I have to ask you, um, you know, does he go into the Hall of Fame? Will he go into the Hall of Fame? question is, does he go in on his own merit, or is he going with Dynamite as a tag team?
2: I think he goes in on his own yeah um i think there's a lot that they are better off not touching with the dynamite kid um in terms of his you know his uh outside of wrestling outside of the ring antics um
1: you don't think that dynamite goes in on it? I mean, I
2: nothing surprises me. When but you
1: saying that Davey Boy goes in on his own in that regard? Yeah, I could agree with you. But I think there is a case to be made that dynamite can go in on his own as well, based on how he was one of those pioneers that influenced the smaller guys. Oh no, no doubt
2: end, on know? merit. On merit, he deserves it. Oh yeah, on the merit. There's a lot of people. Obviously, that
1: his it. outside antics that yeah. become public could be preventing that.
2: Yeah, uh, and I just think in terms of. The vehicle that the Hall of Fame is, I don't suggest that would be a good idea um, to put him in. Um, yeah, maybe you put him in in a few years as like a legacy guy. You that's know. A, that's yeah. That's. A... You can get away with that a little bit, where but at the same time, you know, like it's, I'm not...
1: I think that legacy wing is bullshit. I think it's just their way of saying, like, all right, we got the guys in that you guys are all gonna bitch about, so... Right, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think it's... Like, I didn't um, think, like, Bruiser Brody should have been in the fucking legacy wing, in my opinion, because Brody, right. was, Brody was a, a big name in the in the territory days, and he's somebody that, like... If you if you fucking put Stan Hansen in, you put Brody in, you know what I mean? In the way right. that they did, you know? Right,
2: yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I wouldn't be... I don't think it would be... Um, Again, putting all the sum of everything together, and and boiling it down to like what you know, one thing, I um, I I I think it's probably better to leave him out, you yeah. know, for now. Yeah, time can change that for sure, but you know, bulldog on his own is definitely something that can happen. I think sooner rather than later. I w- I
1: wanted the Heart Foundation faction. That's what I wanted earlier this year. I mean, we got the tag team, you know, and that's great and all. But, you know, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, Owen's estate and Martha prevented, yeah. prevented you know, Owen's induction from going. I mean, and, and Owen, Davy Boy, and Pillman, they could all get in on their own. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But I think if you wanted to, if you wanted to, trying, I'm trying to find the right words. If you wanted to, to cover all your bases with all those guys, considering that they're no longer with us, and you still had Brett, you could have... Put it all together in one shot, and know?
2: and th- there's still an opportunity for that. I think, uh, especially with you know the recent Hall of Fame and the induction of DX. I you know I I would you know I think it's almost a likelihood that you'll see like the NWO get in. You know the original three get yep. in next year. You know, and I think, I think they should
1: put Bischoff in that with them.
2: Sure. Yeah. I, I don't doubt. I don't question that at all. That cool. um, I think you know with the way the Hall of Fame is is being structured now more as an event than it is a hall of fame. You know, they want to sell tickets. So they're going to find ways to induct and re-induct people. Yeah. Um, you know, fucking evolution. I could see getting in the hall of fame next year, you know? Oh God. It's, it's Uh, again, it's, it, to me, it sours the, the hall of fame experience a little bit. If
1: WrestleMania goes to Canada again, which I don't know what the likelihood of that is.
2: I think it's a lot. I think it's quite likely. Um, I think the next round of bidding, I think Toronto is going to have a say in it, based on especially how they perform at this year's Summerslam as yeah. a, as a city.
1: That's a good point. Yeah, um, I and I'm oh, sure. Let me ask you something, because you 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 know you you're more of a baseball guy than I am. I watch baseball, but I don't watch it religiously like I used to. Um, that's the, the the Rogers Center, the Sky Dome, Okay. Yeah. They once um, had a Hard Rock Hotel in the stadium where you could actually, from your rooms, you could watch baseball games or events take place. Um, is that hotel still operating and running in that stadium that you're aware of, that you know of?
2: I don't, I don't know, to be honest. Okay. Um, I want to say, yeah, maybe it's not the hard rock. Maybe it's some other, some other, name, some yeah. other, uh, you know, entity in there. Um, I would imagine that if there is a designed laid out hotel in the building that they probably kept that and are doing something with it, likely a hotel, but I don't know for sure.
1: Bruce on uh, uh, Bruce Pritchard on his uh, recent podcast, they had like one of those, uh, uh, the, the Q and A's to love to know. Yeah. And someone asked about, um, uh, I believe someone asked about the Sky Dome or about going, you know, uh, any good Toronto stories. And uh, because SummerSlam's is going to be in Toronto uh, this weekend. And uh, uh, Bruce recalls um, finding out that um, during like a Blue Jays baseball game, that uh, there were two people s- shown having sex in their hotel room, and the cameraman during the baseball game panned to it. So yeah, I think Vince, I've heard that. Yeah, Vince bought the
0: entire hotel
1: rooms so that nothing like that could happen during WrestleMania
2: six. Uh that's Which is pretty fucking uh, that cool. is kind of funny, yeah. yeah. I, well I do remember when they did a RAW on the Skydome and they ran like a vignette or something Val Venus. with Val Venus. Yeah. With yeah, where it was like Shamrock. basically the same thing where like the camera caught them in their window and he, you know, like shut the curtains. Yeah, I do remember that. Um but yeah, that that doesn't surprise me that um that they would have that he, that they would have done that. Um Yeah, if they
1: go to Canada, either either they try to get the Heart Foundation as a faction in as the headliner, or they really make a push for Owen as the main headliner. Uh, okay,
2: so while we're on the topic, we could have a little fun with this here. So, okay. like, let's say they do a WrestleMania Canada. Like, you know, if, if, if it's kind of keeping up with that theme, who who would you put in the Hall of Fame? Who would you? What would your Hall of Fame class look like in, in WrestleMania Toronto?
1: I would I would do the the Hart Foundation as a faction. I would do Bret Owen, Anvil, Bulldog, and uh, Pillman as a faction, um, or I would have Owen as the headliner. Okay, those are, like, one of the two right there. Um, Trying to think. Um, I I used to base the Hall of Fame on a geographical aspect with, like, where it is. Like, how, like, the entire class kind of has to tie in. And sometimes it it comes across um, like they mean to do it. And sometimes it just happens to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know... Um, Toronto let's just say like I said headliner could be Brett you know the the Heart Foundation faction and or Owen on his own Uh, for women because you need a female Um, Trish is already in Lita's already in Miss Elizabeth. I'd put Miss Elizabeth in on her own as a female. Um, trying to think who else would get in. <sighs> Canadian. Those are the first few I got right now. I, I, I'd have to. I'd, I'd have to probably, you know, like at the cartel. Yeah. Rick Martel for sure. Yeah. That's four right there. Three, I should say.
2: Go ahead. I'd you know, I'd probably, you know, again to to make you know, to, to speed through it a little bit, I'd I'd go I'd go Owen as the headliner potentially. Um you know, let's just say let's just say this is taking place not twenty 2020, twenty, but twenty twenty one, let's just say. Just for the sake of argument. You know, and then, you know, with that, you'll have let's say a Batista. I'd make Batista the headliner probably, just because he's alive. Yeah. And then you have Owen as like the co-headliner.
1: I think Batista's headliner next year
2: would be probably. Uh, awesome. yeah, I think that's a likelihood too. I think he lives in Tampa. Yeah. Um, he just came off his retirement match. Him I, in the NWO. I, yeah, I, I can see that. So until that's become official, I'll call. I'll I'll move him over to Toronto. Okay. Um, Owen Hart. Uh, Christian, I think, is, is uh, it likely. That's a good one, yeah. He's also, a lot of guys live in Tampa, so he could also be... Uh, Christian for Tampa or Christian for Toronto? Tor- I'm going to pick him for Toronto for okay. now, but he also lives in Tampa, so yeah. I could see that. Um, as far as uh, tag teams go, you know, you got to get a tag team in there, so I think you could definitely go with uh, uh, Earthquake and Typhoon. John Tenta's from Canada, was from Canada. What
1: about the Rougeos?
2: Uh... Yeah, I could see the Rougeaux too. That's a good one. Um Yeah, that that could definitely you know, the Rougeaux the Rougeaus and or uh, the natural disasters. Um for women I think Miss Elizabeth's probably as good a pick as any. Um but you know, there's always like the Molly Hollies of the world that they'll try to throw in there. Victoria. Or, yeah, maybe someone from the, the the you know, the past, the seventies or eighties that, you know, rock and Robin or like something like that, you know, yeah. that might go in, um, you know, and then for a personality, I could totally see like a brother love, you know, that's always an easy go-to, especially since he's back in the fold, um, you know, a brother love or a Jim Cornette, um, Bischoff, Heyman, those types of guys. But yeah, I would, I could definitely see, you know, there's definitely the the potential for, for a Canadian themed Hall of Fame. I mean, here's the finish. Like I said, you don't see finishes like that anymore. Like I said, just out of nowhere, it kind of protects the finisher a little bit of both guys, you know, having to kick out of them or not kick out of them, you know, like it's that, more real too. Yeah.
1: A finish like that in 2019 would be like, oh, he didn't use his finisher. Oh, what yeah. the fuck? You know, people complain about that shit.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, uh, I think there needs to be more of that, to be honest. Like I said, uh, finisher, finishers need to be protected more, I think in wrestling, um, To make kicking out of them mean something. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah.
1: And I think think too, like certain moves that were once seen as like finishers, like those moves can't be transition spots anymore. Those moves need to – like for instance, the DDT. You knew someone was done when Jake the Snake put the DDT on you, or even when Arn Anderson dropped dropped you with a DDT. Right now, it's become a transition spot. It's like DDT two count, DDT two count. Yeah. Or Orton when he does that DDT when the guy's foot hangs in the middle rope. Like yeah, that move I think needs to be taken a little more seriously. Even a power bomb. Everyone does a fucking power bomb. Everyone does a super kick. Yeah. No, I'm sick of that. I'm yeah. sick of that shit. No, I. Dolph, uh, I would Usos, agree with that. Young Bucks, everybody, fucking Rollins even
2: sets up a super kick for before he does the, the 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 not so curb stomp. It's like, so, I think it's so instinctual for that for that generation of wrestlers because they grew up seeing it. Yeah, it's just like so instinctive. Yeah, no, I get it. Like, but yeah, I think it. I think it diminishes the move, and I don't think you know. It it to it, to me it's kind of like what you're seeing with Kevin Owens now, like the Stunner. Yeah. Like. It, it's almost blatant that they're trying to make him that type of character when you give him a stunner. Like, yeah. does he have to use the stunner? Like, I, I don't know. Honestly, like,
1: like the pop-up bomb. to be perfectly yeah, honest with
2: you. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that can be, if done correctly, could be an out-of-nowhere move. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're in a stare-down with a guy, and you slap him in the face real quick, and then you pick him up and pop up power bomb him. But yeah. again, that doesn't always work for a, a bigger guy, guy yeah. a bigger talent. So I get that, too. But... um yeah, I just think it's just you know the Stone Cold Stunner is so iconic. You know what I mean? They don't call it the Stone Cold Stunner. Familiar. Or if I mean, I guess it doesn't matter well, maybe either because the
1: Stunner was a setup so that it could it could. But wouldn't it, be- if you set up the Stunner and the guy bounces off the ropes and then that's the reason why you get the pop up power bomb? You know what I mean? Yeah, Owens gives him the Stunner. Let's say guy bounces off the ropes, comes at him, Owens lifts him up, boom, pop up power
2: bomb. But then that kind of goes back to what you just said about like you know the DDTs and things like that as well. So, yeah, good but point. I guess you know what. At the end of the day, it's all about the talent who gets it over because Ric Flair didn't invent the figure four. No. You know what I mean? Buddy Rogers was – But he made Made that famous him. before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, we can complain about those little things. But like people
1: – like people forget that like, you know, Randy Orton, you know, took the RKO from the diamond cutter with yeah, DDP. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, old fans like us will remember, oh, well, that was DDP's move. But, you know – Young kids today, when they see Randy Orton, it's like, oh, the RKO, it's the best move ever. Well, guess where he got that from,
2: you know? Yeah, how pistoling the DDP is though. But there's just the phenomena that RKO out of nowhere became, especially like as virals as it became. You know, there was no internet back then to make yeah. that viral. But I would say the Diamond Cutter kind of was the more over move. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, when it was hit and, you know, in front of an audience, the place would explode. Yeah. And that
1: whole never saw it coming or you can, you, you can deliver it in a various, you know, various ways. Yeah, exactly. That iconic moment here where we see the family hugging, reuniting. The pyrotechnics display. Davey boy, Brett, they've patched things up with Diana. Is like, the peacemaker here. Here you see the iconic shot right here. We've seen a lot of the the SummerSlam highlight reels with the pyro and the... There's Joe Lewis. I mean, Lennox Lewis, excuse me. Yep, here it is right here. The outdoor effect with the the pyrotechnics. That's probably the first time they really used... Oh, no, they used it at WrestleMania eight, but in an outdoor setting.
2: Yeah, they didn't really... I mean... That, uh... They didn't mess with Pyro there. Yeah. Yeah, this was probably the first time I did that.
1: And this is the end of SummerSlam 1992. Overall, looking at this pay-per-view, going back watching it, what did you think?
2: thought it was pretty solid. I, can, I can't say that there was a bad match. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was headlined by one of the all-time great matches, and then you had an attraction and, you know... The, the, the road warriors and savage and warrior and flair and you know the what like i said what the undertaker and kamala was was fitting and solid and made sense um uh, you know looking back on it you know i don't want to say I, I will say it's underrated because it doesn't get talked about as much as a as a sh- as a whole yeah but um you know yeah i thought it was a very good show very good summer slam for sure
1: yeah, it, it, it had that big event feel, obviously, being outdoors yeah. internationally. You know, overall, overall, I enjoyed the show. Um, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you uh, for, uh, for, for, for stopping by and, uh, you know, see you in two weeks with uh, my favorites. Uh, Brett Nowen inside of a steel cage next week trading places SummerSlam 2004 and then we end the month of August with a debut concept I'd like to call Blind Date Diaries as I watch and, and uh, review an event that I've never watched before on WWE Network for the very first time. I'll be covering the big event from August the 28th 1986 headlined by Hulk Hogan and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff from... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the stadium in Toronto Not the Sky Dome But um, the, uh, the, I believe it's the Olympic Stadium If I'm not mistaken So be on the lookout for that In the next couple of weeks here on Kicking Out at Two And with that being said It is time that we put this show down for the three count We will see you all next week